Welcome in to a special edition of Hoopsville. Good evening and welcome. This show is dedicated to Division Three basketball since 2000 and, well, 2000. And it's our 20th season talking D3 hoops. I'm Dave McHugh. If you want to interact with the show or myself, be sure to check us out on social media. We're at D3 Hoopsville on Twitter and Instagram. You can also use the hashtag Hoopsville. Find us on Facebook as well, where we're simulcasting the show, facebook.com slash Hoopsville. We're also simulcasting the show on our YouTube page, youtube.com slash D3 Hoopsville. Tonight's Hoopsville is an exclusive home of the top 16 reveals. This event debuted last season, was created by the Division III Men's and Women's National Committees. The idea to give everyone a preview of the work the committees do when it comes time to bracket the NCAA tournament, while also giving the committees a practice run at that work. A reminder, these seeds are based on the Week 2 regional rankings, and those come through Sunday's games. None of the results since Sunday have been factored in. Also keep in mind, because you're going to want to keep in mind of this, is that the rankings tonight have no bearing on future selections, hosting, or bracketing decisions. That's an important factor in all of this. This is simply a look at what teams have, the top resumes in men's and women's basketball, if, if the tournaments were to be held right now than this week. Give us something more to talk about and ponder in the final 10 days of the regular season. Remember, the brackets will, will be revealed on, Dece- on December, February 27th. A quick reminder of the criteria the 10-member National Committee will use not only to select at-large teams to the 64-team NCAA tournaments, but also to help identify potential hosts for the first two weekends of those tournaments. The primary criteria basically looks at how a team has done against Division Three opponents, and there's no priority to this criteria. There is one-loss percentage, head-to-head results, results versus common D3 opponents, results versus regionally ranked opponents, and, of course, strength of schedule. There is secondary criteria if needed. The committees can't make a decision based on the primary criteria. They can look at the entire one-loss percentage, taking into account non-Division 3A results, results against common non-Division 3 opponents, and the D3 non-conference strength of schedule. And while it is a lot of fun for us to talk about, a reminder that items like RPI, conference standings, public polls like the D3Hoops.com and WBCA polls, and the, quote, eye test, unquote, are not, and I cannot repeat this enough, not things that committees are allowed to use when making these decisions. Okay, so we've gotten all of that out of the way. To learn just a little bit more about how all of this is going to work, And the entire process, we're going to hear from both our national committee chairs joining us on the Huddle Hoopsville hotline. The chair of the Women's Committee is Megan Wilson, who is the Associate Dean of Student Engagement and Intercollegiate Athletics at the University of Dubuque. Bit of a mouthful. And the chair of the Men's Committee, Sarah Quadraki, Athletics Director at Maryville University. Ladies, first and foremost, thank you so much for joining us here tonight. I really appreciate your time. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Hey, Dave. Super excited. Top 16 on February 16th. Doesn't get much better than that, right? You know, I didn't even pick up on the alliteration there. Good point. Thank you for that one. Good good call on that. Megan, we'll actually start with you. This is the second bite of the apple since you were chair on the Women's Committee last year. How did this year's process go? You know, um, it was a great exercise for us. I thought uh, for our Women's Basketball Committee, um, it went better than last year. We have all 10 returning uh, uh, rack chairs. And so I, I thought that 
Um, we were definitely had a better handle on what it was like to go from comparing teams, how they ranked regionally to on a national level. And, you know, I think Sarah and I talked about it the last time we were on. This is really our first opportunity to do that. And the criteria is really set up to compare teams regionally. So it, it it's a great exercise. I thought it went really well. Um, obviously, you, you still have, you know, 10 humans and, um, you know, thoughts and opinions on which criteria carries a little bit more weight. And we don't get a lot of, um, you know, direction from the NCAA uh, in terms of some of those things. So it lends itself to some subjectivity, but I thought it went really well for us. I'm very happy with the way our top 16 came. And of course you get towards the end and it's tough, right? You know, there's probably three or four more teams you think should be in there. And so, but it's a great thing going into uh, 10 days from now. And so it was good for us. Sarah, you were on the committee last year, but you're the chair for the first time. Curious how you thought it went from your perspective. Yeah, and unlike Megan, we have um, a lot of new members on our national committee. And so, um, you know, like we've mentioned before, this is a great opportunity for our new members um, to finally um, learn how we evaluate teams um, region to region. And so this is the first time we do that. And it's a really good exercise to do, especially 10 days out. Um, from selection someday. So, um, you know, I thought we did really good yesterday. Um, uh, We had a really uh, animated call. Uh, You know, we heard from a lot of our new committee members, maybe that haven't spoken up a lot um, on the calls, um, you know, because we finally, this is, you know, where you finally get to, you know, represent your region and, you know, you're really, um, you know, evaluating these teams, you know, across region to region and, um, you know, you become the expert. Um, really on those teams. And so um, it was really tough. Um, you know, I think, you know, it's it's pretty clear and you'll see with our top 16, I'm not sure there's like a lot of surprises maybe at the top, but you'll see there's so much parity um, mm-hmm. in the men's basketball, um, especially, you know, down throughout that 10 to 16 range. Um, we just have so many good teams that have a lot of similar resumes and it's just really hard to compare these resumes from region to region. And so that's where a lot of debate came in. Um, but it's really fun to hear everybody's perspective. And like Megan said, we have, you know, 10 humans on these calls and we all have a different <laughs> opinion on maybe what um, criteria uh, means or matters most. Um, but I think we did a really good job. And I know um, our friends in the Twitter world, I had a lot of uh, people maybe sending me uh, here's my guess on the top 16, you know, <laughs> how many did I get right? And I know a lot of people are uh, waiting to see uh, maybe, you know, if they had 14 or 16 or 15 or 16 of them right. So um, I think it's just a fun exercise, and I'm excited for these teams to see. I know um, I got all 16 right. Okay. Yeah, well, because okay. I've got them. I mean, yeah, I've got the 16. Got yeah, yeah. Um, uh, by the way, we should point out, first time we've had two women's chairs. We've had a women's uh, committee member on the men's basketball committee before, but she uh, never ended up becoming chair. So uh, a little bit as one of the jokes out there. The Old Boys Network is officially gone as we have the other uh, two ladies on our show here as the chairs. Yes, no, Megan, I agree with you. Uh, this, is, this is something I've been uh, waiting patiently for for a little over a year now. Um, I got a couple more quick questions, but we also want to get to the top 16. I don't want to drag anybody out too much, but I do want to keep, we talked about the primary and the secondary criteria, and we'll certainly talk more about it later. But Sarah, we'll start with you. How do you balance that primary criteria and how often do you end up at the secondary criteria, especially for the top 16s or rankings in general? 
Yeah, we really try to make all of our decisions in primary, uh, primary criteria. I mean, right now, um, especially with um, these ranked records, you know, populating this week, you know, we always uh, remind each other, we have enough um, information here. Let's try to use this um, and try to evaluate. Um, and, but sometimes uh, there is the need to, to take a peek at that secondary just to look. Um, and sure. we're really only looking um, at that, you know, that secondary SO, you know, the second non-conference SOS. That's really what we're looking at. That's the only secondary um, criteria that we're really looking at. Um, but that's, that is um, very rare that we're going to make a critical decision, I would say, um, on, you know, on that um, based alone. We really try sure. to look um, at the primary criteria um, because there is, you know, a lot of information there if you can really yeah. dig down and, and make those decisions on primary. Megan, similar, a little bit different? Pretty similar. Um, I would say we rarely try to go to secondary as well. Um, and on conference SOS is generally the only category in secondary that gives us much data. Yeah. Um, I would say we do it when we're splitting hairs. We have, you know, a very, very similar resume, you know, similar ranked wins or results versus ranked, no head-to-head -head or common opponents as a wash. Um, and, and you know, you, a lot of times when we look at the drill down of SOS, that can, you know, help us with that category, but, you know, similar records. So very rarely, but I will say, you know, probably in a couple instances when we did this top 16, I remember us saying, well, you know, they have a, a great non-conference SOS. And, you know, when you're trying to split hairs, that helped us a little bit. But try to stay away from it. Uh, we're going to reveal the top 16 in a moment. Megan, starting with you, what are some of the things you want people to keep in mind when viewing these uh, and even the general rank, rank regional rankings? You know, I think everything, everything can change week to week. Um, I think that's what's so great. Like even last night, I'm, you know, I'm at our men's and women's home doubleheader watching some results play out. I'm just like, oh, why'd they do that to me? You know, like in the top 16. So um, it's a fun time of year. Um, I, I think you covered a lot of it, right? Uh, bids close on Friday. So for anybody watching and not sure if your AD got your bids in or not um, for hosting, uh, the women have precedence in the first and second rounds this year. So that's something that will come into play. Um, but not everybody puts a bid in. Um, you know, so obviously we have geographic location at the Division Three level that sometimes plays a part. Um, so we really try to do our best to put together you know, and reward those teams that have worked really hard on their resumes all year and reward them. Um, but it unfortunately doesn't always work out and we usually hear about it. So yeah. <laughs> Sarah, anything to add to that? Yeah. Um, things change daily. Um, I think that's, that's the biggest thing this time of year. Um, yeah. you can look at the rankings, um, that we released on Tuesday. Um, they they changed and that i think that's another thing that made yesterday um a little hard for us um is that in the back of our mind we knew that there was already some results that might have played a, a little bit of a difference but you know we had to go off of the um you know the criteria and everything that we had from sunday's results so um again things change daily we've got a, a crazy 10 days ahead of us and um, I think the biggest thing that, you know, we just tell coaches, I know I tell my coach all the time, just keep trying to win, you know, focus on the next game. And, uh, you know, we just got to win games. This is the time of year we just got to focus on the next game um, and, you know, the things that you can that are in your control.
Coach Speak has worked your into into Sarah's office, clearly. We already got it here. Awesome. Well, thank you, ladies. We'll we'll get your to return, get your thoughts on things when we are done revealing each of the top sixteens. Awesome. Before we begin, a couple of notes on our process. We will reveal these seeds starting at number one, and we will start with the women. Also, we're going to reveal the first half of the seeds before switching to the men's rankings. If you're not following along, you'll figure it out pretty darn quickly. And with that, let's get underway. We start with the women's top seed. And at number one, the top seed in the process is the Smith Pioneers. Lynn Hersey's squad is 22-1 through Sunday's games, a perfect 9-0 in new Mac play. They sit atop the Region 2 rankings and have been a top 10 program for much of the season so far. They are led by junior Morgan Morrison, who leads the conference in three categories, including scoring at 18 points a game, along with rebounding and field goal percentage. They also have Ali Yamada as the conference's best three-point shooter, and Caitlin Pickunka, the preseason All-American, who is second in the conference in scoring. Smith has already clinched the new MAC regular season title and looking for a fifth NCAA tournament appearance in program history. The number two seed in the women's top 16 is Scranton. The Royals are led by first-year head coach Ben O'Brien and are one of three undefeated teams in Division Three at 23-0 through Sunday's games and narrowly avoided the upset attempt by Elizabethtown on Saturday. Scranton has wins over four teams receiving top 25 attention, including DeSales and Wartburg. They have allowed 60 or fewer points in 20 of 23 games while allowing only 49 points per contest. Scranton also features four players in double figures offensively. Casey Cranson, Bridget Monahan, Maddie Ryan, and Sam Raja. Scranton has appeared in 34 NCAA tournaments and 38 total national women's tournaments dating back to the AIAW before the NCAA. The number three seed is the undefeated captains of Christopher Newport. CNU is considered a top team in both polls, but remember... Those do not play a role in this process. Bill Broderick's squad has lost just one game since December of 2019, that being in last season's NCAA third round, a five-point defeat to Trinity, Texas. The captains are 66-1 and in that stretch. Christopher Newport actually features the longest active road-winning streak in the entire NCAA, men and women combined, having won 30 times on their opponent's home floor. They are just the fifth team ever to reach that milestone. Though CNU is hoping the tournament has to come through Newport News this season. Christopher Newport has 11 players who average more than 10 minutes a game and are known for their chaotic full-court defense known as Captain's Chaos. And while the team averages more than 88 points a game offensively, no player averages more than 8.5 points per game. At number 4... Hello, NYU. The Violets are having a terrific season. Meg Barber's squad is currently 19-2 and sitting atop Region 4 and the UAA, where they're tied with Washington University. NYU started the season 11-0, is currently riding an eight-game winning streak. They are led by three players in double figures, including Natalie Bruns, who averages more than 15 points a game and set a program record with eight blocks in a game rewriting a record that dated back to 2004. New York University is building off of last season's 25-2 campaign, which saw them advance to the NCAA quarterfinals. At number five, welcome the pioneers of Transylvania, who are known for their bat logo and are flying high at the third undefeated team in Division Three. Transy is 22-0 through Sunday's games and dominating the HCAC clinching their fifth straight conference regular season title in their last game. In that game, senior Kennedy 
Stacy grabbed her 500th career rebound while scoring her 1,000th point. Coach Julie Folk's squad has lost just one game in the past two seasons, the lone loss coming at the hands of Trine University in a seven-point defeat in last season's NCAA quarterfinals. The Pioneers are outscoring their opponents by more than 27 points per game, allowing less than 46 points per contest. At number six, we head to Wisconsin and UW-Whitewater. The Warhawks are the top-ranked team in Region 9, sporting a 19-5 record through Sunday's data. Kerry Carollo's unit had a magical run last season, advancing all the way to the national title game in Pittsburgh before losing to Hope 71-58 to finish as the D3 runner-up. This year's team is led by Kerry's daughter, sophomore Casey Carollo, who's averaging 15.5 points per game along with 7.5 rebounds. She also leads the team in blocks and is third in assists. Whitewater has the top seed for the upcoming WIAC tournament, hoping to use Catchell Gymnasium to advance to another NCAA tournament. Which brings us to the seventh team on the women's side, and it's the Baps and Beavers. They are second in the region, two rankings behind Smith with a 19-4 record through Sunday. Babson is led by Judy Blinstrup, who is 11th all-time in Division III history with 712 victories with 18 seasons of 20 or more wins, 10 of those coming since 2009. Babson made it to the NCAA tournament last season as an at-large candidate, but their sec- season ended in the second round to Scranton. Senior Megan Bauman is the all-time career leader and single-season leader in assists, while also ranking as the best free-throw shooter in program history. She's 11th all-time in scoring with more than 1,100 points. Babson has also had an impressive 4-1 and one mark this season against the top five in the NESCAC Conference. The eighth team in the women's top 16 is Trinity of Texas. Cameron Hill's squad has been one of the more consistent Division III teams in Texas since he arrived ahead of the 2012-2013 season. The Tigers are atop the Region 10 rankings with one lone loss coming this month to the on the road at Colorado College. Trinity advanced to the quarterfinals last season, knocking off then undefeated Christopher Newport in the third round before losing to host Amherst one game before the semis. Trinity is outscoring their opponents by more than 27 points a game, scoring nearly 87 points a game on offense. They have four players in double figures in scoring, led by senior forward Ashlyn Milton with 13.5 points a game. The Tigers are also deep, using 11, 12, or more players in a vast majority of their games so far this season. And that does it for the women's first eight. We'll get a quick peek at those women's first eight here. Give me a moment. There we go. You can see the recap of those first eight on your screen. A terrific group of teams and only one repeat regional squad. We now turn our attention to the men's seed. And like the women's, we'll start with the number one spot. Announce it right now. It is the defending national champs, the yellow... Randolph making yellow jackets, making dominated last season en route to the school's first ever national title, but they were led by an aptly named Buzz Anthony. He's graduated and stepping into his place, Miles Mallory and Josh Talbert, both of whom have scored more than a thousand points in their careers and are averaging more than 1,500 points a game this season. The Yellow Jackets sport a 62-game home winning streak, which ties the longest in Division Three history. They will have a chance to break that record should they host in the NCAA tournament. RMC has also won 36 consecutive Old Dominion Athletic Conference games, their last conference loss coming in late February 2020 to Guilford. Defense is still the calling card for Josh Merkel's squad. They're giving up only 55 points a game and outscoring opponents by nearly 20. By the way, their lone loss of the season was in Game 3, much like last season. 
At number two on the men's top 16, the undefeated St. Joseph Blue Jays. St. Joseph is just in its fifth season since being created by Hall of Fame coach Jim Calhoun. He handed the reins fully to his associate coach Glenn Miller in the middle of last season, and the squad hasn't missed a step. They're the only undefeated team in Division Three men's hoops, and should they get to the through the GNAC tournament unscathed, will be the first undefeated team to enter the Division Three tournament since Benedictine and Lancaster Bible both did it back in 2016. Benedictine ended up in the national title game that season. The Blue Jays are the top-ranked team in Region 1, which features nothing but NESCAC teams otherwise. St. Joseph features big-time wins over UW Oshkosh, Illinois Wesleyan, Tufts, and WPI so far this season and are led by a number of seniors or graduate students, three of which are in double-figure scoring. St. Joseph has been in the tournament on two other occasions but haven't either been able to host games or get past the opening round. Two items this year's squad certainly hopes to change. At number three, Middlebury. The Panthers are where we see more losses in the data, but very strong resumes. Middlebury is 19-4 and four and sits right behind St. Joseph in the Region 1 rankings. Jeff Brown's squad has played well for much of the year, but is coping with having lost two of their last three games. Middlebury finished in a four-way tie atop the NESCAC standings. They're led by Alex Sobel, who not only has scored more than 1,000 points in his career, he's a dangerous shot blocker deciding the outcome of games with his abilities. Middlebury is also a tough place to play. The Panthers are 25-2 in the last two seasons at home. The Panthers are looking to lock up a fifth conference title when they start the tournament play on Saturday. They also hope to make their 11th trip to the NCAA tournament in the last 14 seasons. At number four, Swarthmore Garnet. One might argue Swarthmore has been hanging out under the radar a bit this season. The Garnet has the national runner-up in 2019, losing to UW Oshkosh, but the program continues to play at a high level. Landry Kalsmalski's team is atop the centennial standings and hope to secure home court advantage for the tournament in the regular season finale on Saturday. The Garnet have won two centennial crowns and gone to five straight NCAA tournaments, all under Kalsmalski as head coach. They have three players in double figures, including junior Vinny D'Angelo, nearly 17 points a game. And they have outscored their opponents by nearly 14 per contest. At number five, it's the Profs of Rowan. Rowan is 20-4 and four in games, again, played through Sunday. Though Rowan may be licking their wounds a bit. They lost a game last week thanks to a miracle ending against NJCU, a play that made national headlines, and lost again last night to Montclair State in overtime, a game that is not factored into this week's regional rankings or seed announcements. Joe Crispin's team has already clinched the NJAC regular season crown, the first for Rowan since 1999. The Profs are averaging more than 92 points per game offensively, which is the fourth highest in Division III and have scored more than 100 points eight times this season. Rowan is being led by Jazir Noel, who's averaging a tick under 20 points per game. Rowan has the top-ranked team in Region 4 in the last regional rankings. And the number six team is Rowan's NJAC rival, Stockton. Stockton had a magical run in the second weekend of the NCAA tournament last season and have been on and off people's radars this season. Stockton finishes right behind Rowan in the N in the Region 4 rankings this week thanks to losing twice to Rowan. And much like Rowan, Stockton got surprised last night at NJAC play, ending an eight-game winning streak. But again, that result had no impact on this week's rankings. Stockton is good at shooting from beyond the arc, finding themselves in the top 20 nationally in three-pointers per game. They're led by D.J. Campbell, who's fourth in the conference at nearly 18 points a game. He's also third in the conference in free throw percentage, three-point field goal shooting, and steals. And Caden Dawkins became Stockton's all-time assist leader last night.
Which brings us to number seven in the seeding of the men's rankings this week and the williams Eves. If the season only considered the out-of-conference slate, Williams would be undefeated at 13-0. Williams lines up nine players averaging more than 10 minutes a game with four players scoring in double figures, led by Spencer Spivey's nearly 14 points per contest. Eves can also shoot well from deep, where Declan Porter is shooting better than 45% from beyond the arc this season. And don't put Nate Karen on the free throw line. He's converted 51 of 53 attempts. Williams finished behind Middlebury in third in the Region 1 rankings due to the Panthers' win over the Eves, but the two programs are tied with two others atop the NESCAC standings. Williams is looking to be looking to get to its fifth NCAA tournament in the past six seasons. Which brings us to number eight in this week's top 16, and it is Mount Union. Mike Fuline's Purple Raiders are 21-2 and two through Sunday's games and are in a battle atop the Ohio Athletic Conference standings in a race that will go down to the end. Mount Union is scoring more than 83 points per game with essentially three players in double figures. Led by junior Christian Parker's 17 points per game, Parker also leads the team at 7.5 rebounds per contest and has a team-high 47 blocks this season, tied for second in steals as well. The Purple Raiders are hoping to clinch their third straight NCAA appearance and their fifth overall. They're also looking for a fourth OAC tournament title. That rounds out the top eight on the men's side, as you can see them there, with the defending national champions at number one. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we switch back to the women's side and reveal the seeds nine through 16. You have been watching exclusive coverage of Division Three men's women's top 16 reveals here on Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com and presented by or I should say, from the WBCA and ABC studios presented by D3Hoops.com and Sport Tours Internationally. We will be back in just a moment with plenty more. These are your teams, your players, your community of fans. This is where they play, where they practice, where you cheer at every meet, every event, every game. Your community is passionate, dedicated, supportive. You know the tension of a close game and the thrill of the win. So while you're cheering, keep an eye out for anything out of the ordinary. If you see something suspicious, say something to local authorities. It starts right when you hit the court. You imagine your finest moment. The game-winning shot that gets you to the dance. A monster dunk or no-look pass. And cutting down the net. Sports lets us dream of our own success. And prepare us for our finest moments on and off the court. got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. 
We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us. To, to stop, stop sexual, sexual assault. assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. And welcome back. You're watching exclusive coverage of the top 16 reveals for Division Three men's and women's basketball. Hoopsville is the exclusive home for this year's announcements, and I'm Dave McHugh. We've already revealed the top eight for both men and women. It's now time to see who the top or the remaining numbers 9 through 16 are for both men and women's basketball. Remember, this is based on the Week 2 regional rankings and data and results through Sunday's games. Results since Sunday are not factored into these decisions. Also a reminder, this is simply a look at how things might line up at the NCAA tournament started this week. A lot can change in the next 10 days. So let's get back to it, and we'll go back to the women's side. And we start at number 9. It's the Ohio Northern Polar Bears. ONU has a 20-3 record through Sunday's games. Mark Heilsman squad has already clinched the Ohio Athletic Conference regular season title, meaning the OAC tournament will have to come through at Ohio should they continue to win. ONU has three players in double figures, led by Bryn Serban, who has more than 14 points a game, six rebounds, and four and a half assists, along with three steals per game. And last night, she broke the all-time Program record for career steals, surpassing a record that stood for nine years. ONU has been to nine NCAA tournaments, but not since 2017. That's also the last time they won the ODAC tournament title. At number 10, it's the Tufts Jumbos. Tufts is 18-6 and six so far this season, but has a strong strength of schedule resume and results versus other opponents. They are the top-ranked team in the latest Re- Region 1 rankings, Jill Pace's team has played some toughest programs in the country this year, including NYU, Scranton, Stevens, and their NESCAC foes, Amherst, Williams, Trinity, and others. Tufts is led by three players in double figures, but it's Maggie Russell's stats that jump off the page. Russell is averaging a double-double with nearly 19 points and nearly 11 rebounds per contest. She's also second on the team in steals and third in assists. Tufts hopes to make it to their 14th NCAA tournament since 2008 and their 11th in a row. They've made it to two national title games, but have not won at all as of yet. At number 11, welcome Washington University of St. Louis. The Bears are 16-6 and six after missing a last-second shot against NYU on Sunday. On, at Sunday on the road. Randy Henderson's squad has also played a number of difficult opponents this season, playing nine games so far against regionally ranked opponents, and have withstood a three-game losing streak in December to rise in the rankings. WashU is led by top, by three players in double figures and two scoring more than 15 points a game. Maya Arnott and Jessica Brooks. Arnott also leads the team with eight rebounds a contest. WashU hopes to return the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2019, which ended a run of 31 straight appearances. At number 12, it is Trinity of Connecticut. The second NESCAC and Region 1 team makes the, makes the top 16 in the Bantams. Trinity has won 20 games for the first time since 2000 and only the third time ever, though the team is licking their wounds a bit right now in the midst of a losing three of their last four. 
The Bantams are led by Riley Campbell, who averages a double-double this season with 16 points per game and over 11 rebounds per contest. She's shooting better than 58% from the floor. It is a deep team that usually plays nine per game for Emily Garner. Tufts hopes to get rolling again and make their way to the only third NCAA tournament appearance in program history and first since 1997. Trini wouldn't mind getting all the way to the national semis because their Ray Oostings Gymnasium will host the Division III Women's Semifinals in Hartford, Connecticut on March 18th. Which brings us to number 13, and it's a lucky number for Baldwin-Wallace. The Yellow Jackets are the second-ranked team in Region 7 this week, sporting a 20-3 record. Sherry Harris in her 33rd season in charge of BW and has led her team to 31 consecutive winning seasons and more than 650 career wins. BW has made it to 16 NCAA tournaments, including six third-round appearances. The Yellow Jackets are led by sophomore forward Bella Valiant, who is averaging a shade under 11 points a game and 6.5 rebounds. Sophomore guard Emily Irwin has averaged 10.5 points per game, plus two assists and two steals per contest. Baldwin-Wallace actually beat their rivals Ohio Northern in an overtime earlier this season, something they may need to do again to clinch another OAC title and NCAA tournament appearance. That takes us to number 14. That's the Ithaca Bombers, maybe one of the more consistent programs in recent history. Ithaca is 21-2 through Sunday's games and riding a 16-game winning streak. The Bombers are the top-ranked team in Region 3 and have already clinched a Liberty League regular season championship after going undefeated in conference play. Their only two losses this season are to Scranton and Rochester. Ithaca prides itself on defense, allowing less than 50 points per game. They are led by Emily Dorn, who scored nearly 11 points per contest, with six other players scoring at least seven points a game. Which gets us to number 15. As the numbers are dwindling, you're probably wondering where someone is like... The defending national champs, the Hope Dutch women, are here at 15. Hope is 20-2 and two in this week's rankings, though they're 21-2 and two overall. Hope's two losses this season are to conference rival Trine and Albion, who surprised them in mid-January. Hope has been the dominating team in Division Three for the last few seasons, and it has continued this season. They have outscored their opponent, or they have scored, I should say, nearly 90 points a game, while only giving up 55 points, which is outscoring your opponents by 34. They also have three players in double figures in Savannah Feenstra, Claire Bogley, and Ella McKinney, and 13 players who have been in at least 21 games this season. While this year has been a bit different, Brian Morehouse's squad is still one of the most te- one of those teams that most do not want to play or face, especially in the NCAA tournament, nor at DeVos Fieldhouse in Holland, Michigan. Which brings us to our final one and rounding out the top 16 in Division Three women's basketball after week two. The University of Chicago. The Maroons are the third UAA team to make the top 16, besting any other conference in that category. Chicago is third in the Region 8 rankings. Joining Region 7 is the only two regions with three teams in the top 16. Maria Williamson is in her third season and has guided the Maroons to another stellar season. Chicago is trying to gather themselves as as the challenging UAA schedule has caused them to lose three of their last five. However, don't overlook the south side of Chicago. The Maroons have three in double figures scoring in senior Gracie Hines and junior Sophia North and Marissa Powell, all three of which also are the tops in rebounding assists along with Ellie Gross and Mallor Brodnick, among others. Chicago is hoping to get back to the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2020 and the ninth time in program history. So that brings us to the entirety of the top 16 on the women's side. There you can see it, 1 through 16, starting with Smith and finishing with U Chicago, a pretty impressive group 
to say the least. And now we're going to be joined by Megan Wilson back on the Huddle Hoopsaw Hotline. We, uh, we now know the, that we get the rankings in each of the top 10 regions ordered properly can be challenging, uh, Megan. Uh, how, does, how does ranking the top 16 compare, though? You know, I think it's it's just as challenging, right? Um, we talk a lot about trying to have consistency amongst our regions, um, you know, and we also talk about, you know, not necessary, not necessarily a, a one in a certain region is the same as a one in another region. So there's so many factors that, you know, we have to look into in terms of their win-loss or strength of schedule, all that primary criteria and how they sit in that region. But knowing that, um, It's just a really complex puzzle. Um, Like I said, this was a great exercise. We have some really, really great teams, a few teams that probably are deserving and probably have good arguments as, you know, they should have maybe got those last few spots. But it's a tough exercise. It's a fun exercise. Um, And I I think it's been a really great thing for men's and women's basketball. How's this process going to compare to the one you guys are going to go through on February 26th? Um, and we'll get to the second part of that in a minute, but how do you think this is going to work out um, on on Sunday in 10 days' time? You know, I think it, it it's going to be very similar. And, and I felt like last year with having uh, new committee members and so many of them, um, you know, I, I feel really confident about where we're at. Um, and it took us a long time last year when we were – selecting at larges and, and starting to do the bracket because I think they hadn't been through it before and there was a nervousness like we were taking single teams at a time even though we probably had very similar for those pool C's and you know very similar picks but they were nervous to make a mistake and so I think there's just some comfort with doing the top 16 twice doing a bracket doing at large picks so I feel really comfortable it, it's not going to make it um easier we're still going to have tough decisions to make and we're still going to have probably pretty great conversations about you know you have a a team with lopsided win-loss percentage and a lopsided SOS and how how do you determine you know where they sit in the mix of teams and so um, we'll have some good healthy conversations and I just really like the consistency we have going on with our committee Um, they do a great job you know they volunteer their time um, you know, there many of them are coaches who are, are in the midst of their conference tournaments and getting ready for the, the biggest week of their, their year as well, and, and they're doing this. So uh, just really proud of how far we've come and the things that we've done and can't say thanks to them enough for sure. We mentioned that the top six or that the women have priority in the opening week this year. That's just the way it, it, it gives and takes every year. We, we alternate that. As a result, will the top 16 actually be in a position to host? How should we understand that? Yeah, I think they're definitely in a position to host. Um, Does that always work out the way it needs to? No, we had Christopher Newport last year, who was the overall number one or number one team in the top 16, I believe, and, you know, pretty high up there. And and the men had priority and they put into bid both, you know, to host both the men and women. And so as a committee, our hands are tied. So things like that will happen. There will be teams. I remember we got to uh, the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight, and there was a a team that probably would have hosted but hadn't put in a bid for that. So again, bids are due Friday, and don't forget to bid for first and second rounds and third and fourth rounds um, if you would like that opportunity. So there, and then there's a geographical region, and you know, we're back to 500 miles this year. and so that obviously comes into play, limiting flights and travel. And, you know, I thought we did um, some good things last year with the bracket. Uh, I think we could have been better. And so I'm looking forward to another opportunity this year in, in about 10 days with that. 
Now, certainly, we'll talk more in depth with you and Sarah about kind of the regional rankings in these top 16s. But any final initial thoughts here you want to leave everybody with now that we've seen what is the week two top 16? No, I just I want to say you did a great job. I'm super excited. This was definitely the right place for this top 16. And I, I'm just really excited. It's a great time of year. Um, and and this has been fun. So hopefully we we've gained some momentum going into the last 10 days of season. And here we go. Right. This is yeah. what people like you and I live for. So <laughs> it's so true. And I can't believe it's already here. It feels a little strange to, to be talking about um the fact that the brackets are released in 10 days. So uh, thanks for your time. Like we said, we'll have you back here in, in a bit and uh, to talk a little bit more in depth, a little bit more Hoopsville stylish. Sounds good. Thanks, Megan. We'll take another quick break. When we come back, we'll look at numbers 9 through 16 on the men's side. Once again, you are watching exclusive coverage of the Division Three men's and women's top 16 reveals here on Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com and Sport Tours International for the WBCA and ABC studios. Back with more in a bit. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us. To, to stop, stop sexual assault. assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. There are over 480,000 college athletes. Only 2% would go pro. That means over 470,000 will not get a shoe contract. No autographs. No private jets. No fan clubs. No Hall of Fame inductions. Instead, they will walk away with something much more valuable. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're at D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Welcome back. We're in the middle of the top 16 reveals for the Division Three men's and women's basketball. Hoopsville's exclusive home for this year's announcements. I am Dave McHugh, your host. We've already revealed uh, the top eight for both 
the men, and all of the top 16 for women. It's now time to see who our number 9 through 16 are on the men's side. Remember, this is based on Week 2 regional rankings and data, along with results through Sunday's games. Results since Sunday are not factored into these decisions. Also a reminder, this is simply a look at how things might line up if the NCAA tournament started this week. A lot can change in 10 days. So let's get back to the seeds. And for the men, we go to number nine, and it is John Carroll University. The Blue Streaks are 21-2 and two so far in the rankings, along with being 15-1 and one in the conference at this point. They are now tied with Mount Union in the conference standings after a big upset last night. JCU did finish a perfect 12-0 at home and hope they can ride a home court to another OAC title. Pete Moran's squad has four wins over regionally ranked opponents this season, including Mount Union, and have gone from last to first in the OAC after finishing 2-13 last season. The Blue Streaks are hoping to punch their first ticket to the NCAA tournament since the 2017-2018 campaign. At number 10, it is the Wheaton Thunder of Illinois. Michael Shower's squad is the top-ranked team in Region 8 in Week 2, sporting a 20-3 mark. The 19th, the 19th time Wheaton has had a 20-win season, the sixth since Shower it was head coach, or he has been head coach. The Thunder are on top of the CCIW with a game to play. Wheaton has guaranteed themselves at least a share of the CCIW regular season title, which is their 10th overall, but first since 2009. Tyson Kreikshank leads the team with 20 points a game, nearly six boards, and more than five assists per contest, which also leads the CCIW. At number 11, welcome back, Hamden, Sydney. The all-male institution has a storied history in basketball, but it's been it's not been in the NCAA tournament since 2013. Also, the last time they hosted an NCAA tournament game at the Fleet Center took place in 2013. Caleb Kimbrough has turned the Tigers around in just his fourth season as head coach. The team is its first 21 season and since, again, 2013. Hamden City is led by junior Davidson Hubbard with over 14 points and 54% shooting, along with eight-plus rebounds per game. Senior Ryan Clements has 11, uh, nearly 12 points per game with team captain and junior Adam Brazil scoring more than 10 points per contest as well. Three of the Tigers' four losses this season came in the opening five games of the season. They've only lost to Randolph-Macon since and sit atop, sit second, I should say, in the ODAC standings. At number 12, you'll look familiar, the Christopher Newport captains. After starting the season at a nine-game winning streak, CNU finds themselves on a current seven-game win streak. At one point this season, the captains were the top team in the national polls. D3's coach K, John Krikorian, has a dangerous team to face up against, with junior John Hines leading the way with 17 points a game and more than five rebounds. Hines, Krikorian, and the rest of the team are hoping to build on two national semifinal appearances, six straight NCAA tournament trips, and eight in the last 11 years. They're seeking their first-ever national title and are third-ranked team from Region 6 behind Randolph-Macon and Hamden-Sydney. At number 13... Wisconsin Oshkosh, the 2019 national champions of the class of the WIAC Conference this season, somehow not losing games like their fellow rivals. The Titans wrapped up their second straight regular season conference title in third in five seasons and are on an 11-game winning streak. They only allow 61.5 points per game, that's 15th best in Division Three, and hold opponents to below 42% shooting. Senior forward Levi Borchert leads the conference in rebounding, while senior guard Eric Peterson is tops in steals. Head coach Matt Lewis has won the national title as an interim head coach, has three regular season conference titles, and hopes to add a third WIAC conference tournament title 
to his resume. Which brings us to number 14, and it is Case Western Reserve. The Spartans are the top UAA team in the top 16 rankings. CWRU had a breakout season last year when they caught fire late in the season, rolling into the NCAA second weekend before being upended at home by Mary Harden Baylor in the quarterfinals in overtime. Todd McGinnis, Spartans, have figured out how to retool themselves, and despite some bumps and bruises in the UAA action, they have tied atop the conference with Wash U. Transfer graduate student Danny Freunham leads the team in conference, along with being fourth in Division Three at over seven assists per game, and is closing in on the single-season assist record, which last was which was set last season by Griffin Corniker. Freunheim also averaging nearly 13 points a game, though the leading scorer is Mitch Pendergrass, who returned for a graduate season and is scoring more than 18 points a game. Those two, plus others for Case Western Reserve, make the Spartans a tough team to face, especially if at home in NCAA tournament play. Just two teams remain in our top 16, and at number 15, it's the Spartans UAA foe, Washington University of St. Louis. Pat Yuckham's squad is 17-5 and so far this season, and as mentioned, tied with Case Western Reserve atop the UAA standings, thanks to a loss on the road to NYU on Sunday. The Bears are led by Drake Kinsfader and Charlie Jacob, both of whom are scoring more than 13 points a game. Drake is leading the team with six rebounds per contest as well, as Hayden Doyle is also in double figures in scoring at over 10.5 points per contest. The Bears hope to make the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2020, the second time under Pat Yuckum. There's one team remaining to round out our top 16 for men's basketball, and number 16 is... Johns Hopkins, the Blue Jays, have been the thorn in Swarthmore's side for much of the past few seasons, winning the last two conference tournament titles, defeating the Garnet at Swarthmore. Johns Hopkins finds themselves second in the Region 5 rankings behind SWAT. Their three losses this season are to Swarthmore, Christopher Newport, and Muhlenberg. JHU is led by Tom Quarry with over 14.5 points per game, but Carson James has emerged as the one who runs the show, averaging 12.5 points per game, grabbing four rebounds, and dishing out nearly 100 assists. But don't overlook the rest of this team. Josh Leffler will tell you that they are likely deeper than any other team he's coached in Baltimore and have plenty of offensive options. So that is your men's top 16. Bear with me. There we just got to find what we're looking for there. There we go. Your top 16 on the men's side look like that through the week two regional rankings. Certainly an impressive group to say the least. And one that will certainly garner some some attention, I would say. To join us to talk about all that is the chair, once again, of the Division Three Men's National Committee. It is Sarah Quadraki. And Sarah, you got to sit back and relax for a little bit there. Uh, first you. and foremost, uh, a lot of parity in men's basketball this season, and that means more losses. How has that impacted the rankings, in particular those top 16s? Well, first off, Dave... You just crushed that, my friend. Like, great job. I just was, like, getting caught up there, and I had to log back on. So thank you so much. Like, you just really crushed that. So great job. Um, Definitely. I'm so glad we made this decision. So congrats to you. Um, As you guys can see, I think the biggest thing, um, I think Megan, I heard Megan say this too, like, the biggest thing with the top 16 and how um, we start comparing is, you know, I think I heard her say it like not all regions are the same. Um, not all number ones are the same. If you look at our top 16, we have seven. Uh, we only have seven number ones. 
We have six number twos, and we even have you know three number threes in there. You know, in those regional rankings. So um, there's just a lot of um, parity. It's just you know it's it's so hard comparing these um, regions to each other. And I think another thing, and I don't think we've mentioned it yet, Dave, is that you know how we're um, voting these teams in. I think it's important for um, everybody to to realize, and especially for this exercise you know, that the number ones of each region are like on the board. And so, um, you know, a number two can't get voted in until that number one gets voted in. And so I think that's very um, important for people. To Good know. It's kind of like an elevator system. So all the number ones are on the board of each region. And so, for instance, like, you know, Randolph-Macon, obviously we voted in first, and then, you know, Hampton-Sydney was on the board next. And so those are the teams that we're comparing to each other. And so that's a very important part of the process um, and how we um, have to do the process, um, you know, for this and then for selections and too. So we, in, for our committee, we call it the elevator system. You know, we move, move the teams up, uh, you know, once one gets voted up, uh, we move the next team up to compare to whoever's on the board. And so, that's what's so difficult um, because there might be a team that you kind of want to compare to, you know, to the rest up there, but you can't until, you know, everything kind of shakes out. So, um, but yeah, there is a lot of parity, um, you know, with ranking less teams this year. Um, there also is not, you know, that large number of uh, regionally ranked wins. Um, so we really had to evaluate and what those, what those wins um, meant and the quality of wins um, that were in those records. And so we really spent a lot of time, as you can see, uh, if you really look into those regionally ranked wins, um, who they were against, uh, the rankings of those teams, uh, who had the better wins at the end of the day. That's kind of how we made decisions. What items are going to impact not only the top 16s in the next 10 days, but how you end up bracketing this group as well? Um. Obviously, the um, the women do have priority. So you might have seen there are some team same teams that are that are ranked right um, in the top sixteen. So that um, not that again that the teams that are ranked today will you know be hosting. Um, but obviously, uh, working you know Megan and I have had a pulse on this for you know weeks. You know we talk all the time. So just making sure that we're staying in touch here throughout the next 10 days, um, and especially next weekend, um, you know, we'll both, you know, be in Indy, I'm sure, you know, just a room away, um, watching, you know, the AQs come in and the teams come in, making sure we're getting those hosting sites together. Um, and then, you know, who's putting in host, um, you know, and the quality of, um, you know, schools that put in host and making sure, you know, that we're really making um, a quality experience for the student athletes and where we're deciding to put our championships. I mean, that's really um, the biggest thing. Uh, we really take pride in um, having a great championship experience for our student athletes that, that get this experience. And, and we got to emphasize that bids are due tomorrow. So if anybody just saw their names on the top 16 or saw some names that probably can't be hosting in that top 16 they got and they haven't gotten their paperwork in they've got less than 24 hours yeah we really if if you're regionally ranked at this point you know we really urge you to consider putting in a bid uh, put a bid in for the first weekend um, put a bid in for the second weekend um, you just never know and no. you don't want to be caught in a situation where uh, your team gets hot and 
you win two games in that first weekend and you might be the most centrally located team to host that second weekend and we can't award you that um, bid because you haven't put in a bid. Um, and that, that's a, as an administrator, that would be a really tough uh, conversation to have with a team like, <laughs> oh, hey, congrats. But like, I didn't put in a bid for you. So, um, you know, if you're a coach watching this tonight um, and you um, have an expectation to make the tournament, I would have a uh, send a text to your administration or if you're an administrator watching this, it's really, you know, not a difficult process to put in a bid. Um, and if you've already put one in for the first weekend, um, it's pretty easy to just kind of copy that over to the second weekend and, um, you know, put that in, you know, if you can, if you have the ability to host that second weekend. Well, Sarah, I appreciate the initial time here. We're going to get you on here after the commercial break, commercial break, ad break, whatever we call it, my break, yeah. so I can get a little bit of fluids in me. Uh, so we can talk to you and Megan a little bit more yeah. in depth, a little more Hoopsville style, but I appreciate the time so far and look forward to, to diving in a little bit deeper here. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah Quadraki, joining us on the Huddle Hoopsville Hotline. Again, both of the committee chairs will join us on the other side of the commercial. But before we go and turn the show back towards a more traditional Hoopsville-style show, maybe even get rid of the sport jacket, uh, we do have a couple of reminders for you coming up. The men's selection and bracket show will take place on Monday, February 27th at 1 p.m. That's a sl slightly later than we have been doing it over the past few years. Brendan Gulick and myself will be with you to unveil the 64-team tournament on NCA.com. The first and second rounds of the tournament will take place on March 3rd and 4th, and the sections will take place on March 10th and 11th. Those games taking place at host institutions. The national semifinals will take place this year on Thursday, March 16th at 5.30 and 8 o'clock and streamed on NCAA.com. I hope you like Brendan Gulick and myself because we'll be on the call for those games as well. The national title will be then seen on CBS Sports at 4 o'clock on Saturday, March 18th. Notice the day between uh, games there. That's new to Division Three. Those games taking place in Fort Wayne, Indiana. The women's selection and bracket show will also take place on February 27th at 3 p.m. Eastern. Again, slightly later than we traditionally had it. Once again, Brendan Gulick and myself will bring you those on NCAA.com. The women's first two rounds will take place on March 3rd and 4th. And the sectionals on March 10th and 11th, again, all at host institutions. The women's national semis will take place on Saturday, March 18th on the campus of Trinity, Connecticut, and Hartford. Those games will happen at 5 and 7.30, respectively, respectfully, respectively, something like that, on NCA.com. I, I don't know who the broadcasters are for that game, by the way. The championship will take place two weeks later at the combined championships of Division One, Two, II, and Three in Dallas, Texas. The Division Three women's title game will be at American Airlines Center starting at noon on Saturday, April 1st. That will also be on CBS Sports as well. So there you go. That is your top 16s. But we are not done here on Hoopsville. When we come back, we will talk to both committee chairs. We'll roll up our sleeves, dive in deep, answer some questions, and talk about what we saw in those top 16s and the regional rankings we've already seen in week two. If you've got questions for us, you can email us, hoopsville at d3sports.com. You can tweet us at d3hoopsville or hashtag hoopsville. You can join us on our simulcast on facebook.com slash hoopsville and on YouTube at youtube.com slash d3hoopsville. We'll try and get to many of your questions. We have many ourselves. When we're done with the committee chairs, we'll then get our experts in on the women's side and on the men's. On the women's side, we'll have Pat Coleman, Gordon Mann, and Scott Peterson. On the men's side, we will have Pat Coleman, Ryan Scott, and Matt Snyder, at least, maybe more. That is all ahead 
here on Hoopsville. And with that, we'll take another break. When we come back, we talk to both committee chairs. You're watching ex- Hoopsville's exclusive presentation of the top 16 announcement here in Division Three on the men's and women's side. Back with both committee chairs when we return to the WBCA and ABC Studios. Coach of the Year, Administrator of the Year, All-America Team, Wade Trophy. The WBCA doesn't just honor coaches, but players, administrators, and much more. The WBCA strives to honor those who have contributed to the advancement of women's basketball. Celebrate the present, honor the past, look to the future. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. It's on us. It's on all of us. And it's time to act now. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault. I learned a lot of valuable lessons playing college football. I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being, not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly, it's all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go on a personal trainer and share my knowledge that I obtained in college about physical and mental well-being. Coach of the Year, Administrator of the Year, All-America Team, Wade Trophy. The WBCA doesn't just honor coaches, but players, administrators, and much more. The WBCA strives to honor those. There we go. I'm back. Sorry, we had an ad break that didn't want to quit there. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Uh, we now have our donation drive up. We should mention that. We are raising funds for Hoopsville. That is not an updated total. I need to go through that. We've had quite a few donations in the last uh, few days. Certainly appreciate it. By the way, the merchandise sale is still up. We have extended it to Sunday because it wouldn't impact shipping. So you have until Sunday to buy shirts and stuff. We'll talk a little bit more about that later in the program as well. But our fundraising goal, as you can see, is there. Uh, I will update that in a little bit. So the top 16s have been announced. I've doffed the jacket because we're now moving into more of a Hoopsville-style show. We'll roll up the sleeves, as it were, to talk about all of the fun stuff and uh, figure out what it all means and how we understand what it all means and 
just asking insane questions, too, to both our committee chairs who join us back on the Huddle Hoopsville hotline. It is, in case you lost track, Sarah Quadraki, who is in the upper, uh, if you're looking at your screen, the upper left, and Megan Wilson, the upper right. Uh, would you like me to give you your formal titles again, or should we just doff that and keep going? I mean, I love you trying to spit out my title. <laughs> I, I tell my boss all the time, people can't say it without taking a breath, but you nailed it. I think I got through it. Hold on. Where is it? Where you did, did I for sure. Here it is. Uh, our chair of the Women's Committee is Megan Wilson, who's the Associate Dean of Student Engagement and Intercollegiate Athletics at the University of Dubuque. And our men's chair is Sarah Quadraki. She's just the Athletics Director at Maryville University. <laughs> <laughs> nice and short and sweet. We're done. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Appreciate your time. Um, definitely short and sweet. Um, all right. Let me get back to a question I did not ask you to in the beginning because we were running a little tighter on time. I wanted to keep it moving. But you're both administrators. Meg, I'll start with you. Obviously, you're a former basketball coach as well. How much does that impact things behind the scenes? Because we talk a lot about uh, – I, I preface that by saying we talk a lot of, about sometimes when we get coaches on the as chairs um, – we get one look at, at in terms of selections and brackets, and when we get administrators, we get sometimes a different look, rightly or wrongly. I don't, I don't have an opinion on that. It's just you get a different perspective on things. And, Megan, you kind of have for both. So, Megan, I'll start with you. How does your administrative role battle your coach's role, in a sense, when you're doing this work? Yeah, you know, I think, um, I, I, think I have a good perspective. I think sometimes um, when you have some administrators that don't have a basketball background, it makes it a little bit tougher um, for them to kind of understand the rigors of scheduling and season and, um, you know, the ability to control or not control your non-conference schedule budgetary restrictions. So I think it's important to understand uh, where the coaches come from. I think as an administrator, you kind of have a little bit wider lens and you can kind of look at some of those things. But I, I really think that I've seen some administrators struggle without that basketball background or that coaching background to kind of understand um, the numbers and how things fall into place. Do you battle with your coach side, though? Understanding sometimes you wish the eye test would take place or something else along those lines? A hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, I, I'm sure most of the women's basketball coaches in the country can't wait to get me out of this chair seat. But, you know, this is like my tie to the game. I love this so much. I think I'd stay on the committee forever if they'd let me. So maybe I'll just have to come back next year and just uh, be the analytics people. You know, we'll talk about deep dive teams with you guys. Uh don't be surprised if you get a phone call because I might need mock <laughs> selection people on Sundays, and I usually like calling former committee members. Um, yeah. Megan, I did notice you you changed uh, jobs, and you were smart. You stayed in the region uh, going from uh, Luther to Dubuque so that you wouldn't accidentally rotate off the committee. So well done. Smart play there. We never mentioned that before, but I'll give you credit. Sarah, yeah, I think, I, think I have the record for job changes staying in the region. <laughs> Kelly was uh, making fun of me, so... I'm now at my Three? fourth institution at fourth, fourth. All and haven't left the committee oh, right. or my region. With the regional realignment, it helped me. So I think you yeah. you've been on the show also in all in every role. Or at least three of those so. roles. Yeah. For sure. Probably. Sarah, from your perspective as an administrator, and I'll admit, uh, a female administrator 
of a male sport. There, there's a different dynamic there. What do you think you're bringing to the table, and how has that impacted the process so far? Um, well, first of all, I, too, started in a different school. I don't know if anybody... That's ever... right, too. No, you're right. I just remembered that myself. Yeah. Yeah? yeah. That's yeah, right, because I, I remember when they I, said, you're at Maryville, I went, okay, now I'm confused. Did she move out of the region? But you didn't either. You stayed in. I was. Smart I, was as well. at, I was at Rhodes. My first, when I was first named to the committee, I was at Rhodes College. And that's right. Um, even though that's in the same state, it seems like it's like a whole country away because it's like the opposite side of the state. But yeah. Uh, luckily that was um that was in the same region so yeah i i too switched over um but yeah that seems like like a decade ago but yeah um but yeah uh so yeah i think i um i had been on other committees before um i also i think i just have this like nerdy stats sport background because uh, i started as an sid um and i that was my first job, my first love in sports. Um, and I think I immediately kind of came on the committee and proved that I got it. Um, and I had res uh, I just gained respect. Um, and I remember one time a coach um, actually on the committee telling me, um, I bet you're a great athletic director to work for. Um, and so I think, you know, I would, that actually like was one of the like most inspiring comments I think that anybody's ever made to me, um, because <laughs> here I am as a woman on the men's committee, um, with a bunch of basketball coaches. Cause, uh, you know, it's tough. Sometimes I'm like, I wonder if they actually believe me, but I think that, you know, I think I gained their respect because I think I, I understood, I got it. I was a huge component. I remember there was one year when a team, was you know kind of left out of the tournament and the there was a coach that believed he should have got in and they asked me to call their athletic director to explain sos you know um and so i mean i did i i was like you gotta help your coaches out and i mean i think when people knew i was doing that um that gay i i helped you know gain a little respect there so um i just i don't really think there's a i've just been one of those women in this job I've, I've worked in college athletics for 20 years i've never really been somebody that's trying to prove myself i just do my job right and well and that's kind of it so yeah, i hear that um well i appreciate the time you two have given us and and i'll say it now i'll say it publicly you know i've said it off air too appreciate you giving us the opportunity to do the top 16s we talked about that when we announced it a few weeks back and uh uh, fun phone call that I got in uh, early December while well, at a completely different sport, just for the record. My brain was not in hoops gear at the time at all. Uh, it definitely took me a moment to understand what we were talking about. Um, but I appreciate the opportunity. And, uh, well, here we are. Um, let's start with just the rankings in general. We got our first chance to see the numbered rankings. Um, and obviously they always breed questions between primary criteria and how much is weighed and where. And we see the differences between committees, to be blunt. Um, and we always are going to see differences, though I, it's interesting to see you all kind of ebb and flow from where you are. Sarah, I'll start with you. Yeah. It still feels like the SOS has a lot of weight. In some cases, may, I, I say this for the extreme thoughts, maybe too much weight, that 
sometimes people look at it and go, well, yeah, of course, we should give them credit that, that they have uh, a great strength of schedule. And if you give me a moment, it reminds me of some other sports top 20, 25 polls where at the end of the season they're ranking a team at 500 or below, and their, their answer is, well, look at the conference they play in. And my retort usually is back is, great, but they only won half their games. Where is this line between how much the SOS is influencing a win-loss conversation, for example? Yeah, so um, we have pretty much have a, a standard going into our rankings um, where there's an outlier in criteria, whether it be SOS or that win-loss percentage. Uh, if there's a strong outlier there on either side, um, we're really going to take the next best resume that has a full set of criteria and compare it. Um, and if there's a better resume that's well-rounded, um, we're going to use it to, to compare. And I think we've you've already seen that. Um, I think there was some chatter about it in an alphabetical rankings to see like, hey, what about the, you know, what this team, what, you know? And then uh, last week you we saw it in the, the numerical rankings. And um, I believe it was you, Dave, that kind of asked. And I said, you know, look, we're just, we're not interested in, uh, um, a team that is right at 500 and there was a better resume to um, to compare um, that had um, a more well-rounded resume and that had you know a tough a tough win um, you know a better win um, some SOS and just had a better well-rounded resume and I think that that's our job that's why humans are involved in this process so that we can evaluate um, to have a more well-rounded resume when there's that outlier. Um, so we're not just gonna take, oh, you know, congrats, you have this like 600 SOS or you have this, you know, 22 and one record, but if there's nothing else there, um, and if there is a, a resume that's like kind of next up that we can compare, we're gonna do that. And I think that we've made that very clear on the men's side um, that we're looking for that well-rounded resume. If there is an outlier in criteria, um, then we are going to use that, you know, if there is a resume available um, in that region to compare, we're going to use it. Does that make Um, sense? Yeah, I I forgot, by the way, I wanted to back up one quick second before we go back down that road. Since you brought up me calling you yesterday, how did you think the, the release went? Well, I'm happy that you got all of our records right, Dave. So I'll leave it at that. Thank yeah. you. You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, back to our regularly scheduled programming. Um, <laughs> there's a, I want to go into that in more depth, but Megan, I want to pivot towards you because the women's side still seems to be a little bit, rightly or wrongly, a little bit more still win-loss percentage-based. Though, if you saw that top 16, there are certainly some resumes there, like six six loss teams that have floated up a little bit higher than I think I'm used to seeing on the women's side. What's that conversation like? And and where are you guys in terms of what Sarah was talking about there in terms of are there, for a baseball reference, Mendoza lines that are just not in the scope of a conversation? Yeah, we had a lot of conversations about that this week. I think we've, uh, as a committee, closed the gap a little bit. I think last year as a whole, we were very uh, win-loss percentage heavy, um, and, and we had a hard time overlooking that um you know now you know i've i've tried to get our committee to kind of you know look at all the categories not one is more important than the other right like so you know 
maybe to me, right, coming up through the WIAC as a student athlete and assistant coach and head coach. And, you know, I, I understand a tough strength of schedule. Um, but that's not necessarily more important than a win-loss. And so we had some conversations. We, we don't get a lot of direction, right? So, you know, I asked my regional committee on Tuesday and I asked the national committee on Wednesday, is there – is there a point where a win-loss percentage is just too low at this point in the season? You know, they have a great SOS, you know, they have some that impressive ranked wins, but you know, it's, it's not a scheduling contest, right? Like it's not who puts together the most impressive schedule. At some point you've got to be winning some of those games. And, and some of those things are out of teams control, right? The UAA, they're going to have a strong SOS, based on their conference the WIC they're going to have a high SOS based on their conference some of the teams out east same thing and then you're going to get into situations where teams in the south and out west just don't have the opportunities right like but those are things that are outside of our control as a committee right we can we can only take the numbers as they sit and try to evaluate them the best they can so we had some conversations I'll say, like, if you have a really high win-loss percentage, but your strength of schedule is much lower than some of the other teams, you probably have, you know, a little bit less leeway in mishaps or lost loss games, right? Like, so if your SOS is in the 530s, you know, one or two blemishes looks a little different than a 643 SOS with five losses. So, so those are all things that we kind of have to, you know, try to – take a look at the big picture. I think we, we've we made some headway and, and come a little bit closer to, you know, the men's committee and their evaluation. But again, we have uh, two committees of 10 people each and, you know, we're, we're not gonna be the same until it goes to a system like pairwise, like hockey uses or something, there's going to be some subjectivity involved. That's just the way it's gonna be. When you look at, at to kind of flip that idea around, there's a lot of teams sometimes that have very little choice. They have very few non-conference games to be able to bolster any kind of resume whatsoever. They're they're stuck with maybe 22 conference games out of 25, and then they play a conference tournament just to add more to that mix. Where is the conversation when it comes to those where maybe one's got a really good winning percentage, but they can't do anything much better than what they're doing um, in their non-conference three games? Where does that debate then become where you've got to understand those dynamics? I think we have conversations about those teams and in, in those three non-conference opportunities, what did they do with them? Did they they attempt to play some teams that have been traditionally ranked or teams with the high, you know, SOS or teams that will b- help build them a good resume? Because you're right. There are certain teams that just don't have the opportunities. Teams cannot help their conference for the most part. Right. Like it is what it is. It's strong. It's mediocre. It's weak, whatever. But and the number of games, whether they play a, a double round robin or just, you know, single round robin, all those things come into effect. So I I think that's why it's not just about looking at win loss and SOS. It's what did they do with those opportunities? You know, there's a couple teams in my region. There's a couple teams that are in the suite or in the top 16 today that we talked about that, you know, they're, their SO, they have a pretty high win loss percentage, but their SOS might not be there. So then it's time to look at where are those ranked opponents coming in? Did they have ranked opponents? And, and just kind of looking at the whole body of work. Sarah, same idea. The men certainly yeah. have some of those examples. And, of course, the famous one we actually mentioned on the air, though not because of it, but we mentioned them, Lancaster Bible undefeated in, in 2016. They, they lost in the conference tournament. 
they were likely left out with just one loss on the entire campaign. How 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 do you guys kind of weigh those kinds of scenarios? Yeah, and and sometimes that's just unfortunately really unfortunate for some of the teams because we just have what we have to evaluate. Um, it's a it's a conference um, SOS issue. It could be a uh, regionalization issue. I think that's what's so important to this process um, is we can only evaluate what we have to evaluate. Um, and that's our criteria, which again, is a regional regionalized criteria. Um, and, you know, we can't just um, make up criteria um, to help kind of move those teams along. I think that's what's kind of hard. Um, you know, we have to kind of stay true to, to what our criteria is. And so sometimes we just have to evaluate what we have. Sure. Um, a couple of examples I wanted to get to. We'll go back and forth because there's a couple of good ones. But, for example, Emery Guilford on the men's side has certainly interest a few people in terms of where they're positioned. Guilford, of course, famously last year was ahead of Roanoke and ended up kind of blocking Roanoke from getting the tournament. That's not what I'm saying is going on here, but the resumes in a lot of ways, the others look into it. They think maybe that should be flipped around. How did you guys come down and try and evaluate those two schools and figure out, hey, yeah, we're going to put Emory first? Um, That one really came down to a validation um, of the SOS. Um, and, uh, you know, truly looking at their, their ranked wins and the, you know, just who had the better wins and then the SOS validating that. Megan, we'll go to you. One that's already popped up on on the Twitters is, uh, hope they're sitting third in the regional rankings, you know, two losses defending national champs. We realize is not part of the criteria. Uh, this isn't, this isn't like some sports, um, how do you weigh a, a hope-like squad, which did lose one game that's basically not considered in non-Division three? but how do you weigh their resume against others when when looking at the fact that we all know they're a pretty good team? Yeah, it's real tough when, you know, they get behind a couple teams in their region like they are. So, you know, they're behind ONU, they're behind Baldwin-Wallace in the regional rankings right now. And so, like Sarah said, we can't start talking about hope until we've gotten those two teams on the border in the tournament. So, you know, when when that region is comparing, it comes down to, you know, win-loss, ONU's 20-3, and Baldwin-Wallace 20-3, and and Hope's 20-2. and So those are pretty impressive win-losses. And then you look at 587 SOS, 577, and 541, and then ranked wins 4-2, 4-2, 4-2. and, two, four and, two, four and two. So then we're looking at the quality of those ranked wins and and who those teams are. So, you know, that's a tough one, you know, and and rightly so, right? Like, I was a national championship I, champion. I remember, you know, that should be part of the criteria, right? No. Um, but, you know, they're a solid team. But, again, like Sarah said, we only have what we have. And so when you're looking at – those three teams in that region, there's head-to-heads that come into play. There's results versus common opponents that come into play. And so you can't get hope on the board until you've gotten those other two after the way the regional rankings shook out. You two are talking about something I want to get to regarding results versus regionally ranked opponents. I'll get to that in a moment. But one other example for on the men's side, Sarah, that was brought up um, would be Carrollton versus Lacrosse, The MIAC, and, and we've seen it on the women's side, you know, the conference schedule eats up a ton, but Carrollton seems to have a pretty good resume. How do you guys kind of differentiate between 
that scenario, for example? You know, that's that's one that, uh, you know, unfortunately, those are going to those are so tight right now um, yeah. early on. And these are ones that, uh, you know, we're looking at, you know, conference to conference and the wins aren't the same. Um, and, you know, to be honest, um, sometimes, you know, if we didn't get it, if we didn't get it exactly right, we know those were the same. Those are the teams at two and three. Right. Um, and we'll 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 evaluate it and we'll use the next criteria next week and you know we'll we'll get it better um but for this week that's where we went um we we looked at it um it was really tight um and sometimes those come down to a committee vote you know if we can't if we can't shake it out um if we can't come to an agreement um we have to vote um because like sometimes we'll spend an hour on a situation when it comes down to two teams like that um, and, you know, like we've already said, these are, I mean, we have 10 people on a call trying to make a decision on who's two and who's three in a region. Um, when we know that there's going to be, you know, five, six more games to be played, it's like, okay, at this point, we need to vote. We need to vote who's going to be two. We need to vote who's going to be three because we have to make a decision. Um, yeah. And I know that sometimes, you know, there might be people that don't agree with that. And maybe, you know, maybe you as the you know you're on the committee and you don't agree with it you, you never know um but those are those are just situations that arise and um and like megan already said until we use an actual you know unless we use a system where everything's going to be consistent and the same again you know these are um you're splitting hairs sometimes deciding if someone's win is better than someone else's win and um, um and i meant ahead. to offer earlier by the way i know we're at 10 um voters and we're at eight first off is that majority super majority or have to be unanimous i meant to ask that when you vote those things uh we use majority and then if it's a tie i make the decision i was because i was going to say if you need a tie-breaking vote i'm happy <laughs> to sit in on these committees yeah use my expertise yeah, and 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 bring up i'll be the pro i'll be the i'll be the president pro tem I'm happy yeah. to do that. Yeah, I'll just get you on speed dial, Dave. Um, sure. Women's side too, know. Megan. Happy to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, since our calls are on different days, I mean, I guess she could right. be available. Yeah, yeah, you can do both. Yeah. I'm just saying there will be, though, an invoice. There will be an invoice. <laughs> just warning you now because right. that has been known to happen. Um, <laughs> results versus region ranked opponents. Uh, how are you diving in, especially this week? I, I In the past... We've gotten the sense that, especially on the men's side, if it's you look at somebody's results versus region-ranked opponents, you go, okay, they played a one, they played a six, they played a five, and they played a, a eight, and here's how they did against that. They were 0 for against the one, they beat the eight, whatever. Um, but we didn't see rankings this time around, Sarah. Did you? Did you? How did you differentiate that results versus for this week's rankings? Um. <laughs> That's why this week was hard, Dave. <laughs> because <laughs> <Okay>. we, <laughs> last week was uh, alphabetical, right? So yep. that's why it was hard to differentiate. Like, okay, you had two wins or three wins. I mean, we didn't see these astronomical amount of wins. Um, I even glanced at, you know, Megan's rankings. I mean, she had teams with 10, 9. We only had, I mean, we only had, you know, we had one team at 
um, nine. We had one team at eight. We had one team at seven. We don't have a lot of teams like we did last year. A majority of our teams had, you know, three wins or four wins. That was really high in a region. Um, and so because they weren't uh, in the system as ranked because we did alphabetical, um, you know, it was really it was really hard to differentiate. And that's why, you know, there was a couple um you know, of those really tough decisions that we were making within the regions. And, and like I said, we were confident, um, wholeheartedly confident that we got the seven teams or in region two, the six teams correct. Um, and in all of those, those regions, um, you know, but like I said, there was a couple where, yeah, we, we did have to come down to a vote to see who went in front of who, um, because we couldn't really, uh, tell, but now we have that you know, exact data and we could tell. And we did use that um, in the top 16. Like we were able to say like, okay, well, at least this week. Okay. knew that, um, you know, so you know, this team had a win against the number one in that region. Okay. And this week had two wins against the number two or a win against the number three. So, so that is the differentiating fact between yeah. the 16 and the rankings Correct. as you were able to use that that data point. Yeah. We use that, but we use the, the, all the records and everything. Um, right, but something. you didn't. You also didn't rerun it. Like at the end of the year, you'll rerun that data. You didn't rerun oh, yeah. the data for the week to the seating. You just used their right. positioning. I got it. Correct. Um, Megan, to yours, I think you uh, maybe jokingly or maybe seriously mentioned. You know, we do kind of know where they were ranked, even if we give them to you alphabetical. Did you use them alphabetical? Or did you? Or did you? Did you? Did you have a quiet little ranked side on the quietly on on the side of your of your pad? Yeah, we're a little different. We we knew right as a, a national committee where the teams ended up ranked. So that, although they were published alphabetically in the score reporting system, it shows you one, two, three, four, five, six, and, and or seven. Um, so when we went through the national call on Wednesday, we did look at where mm -hmm. those teams were ranked um, because we, we had that information and, and we thought that was, you know, critical, um, you know, our our calls with our region and our national committee are, are confidential. Um, I gave my region the rankings, ranked wins. So when they were pre-prepped on their team sheet, they knew where teams were at um, mm. to to get region nine. So um, not all of my national committee members did that. Some of them just gave them the ranked. Um, but as a national committee, when we went through rankings, we did have some changes because we knew where those teams sat after that first week. Interesting. Um, I could go into lots of things, but I got a bunch of questions, so I want to keep moving. Just let those answers sit, and we'll certainly talk more about them down the road. Uh, Megan, you're dealing with an interesting scenario on your side because we've had a handful of women's schools who either called off games or called off seasons. It certainly is fouling up uh, some conference SOS numbers and some other scenarios. How confident are you that the SOS data and anything else is accurate, that you're not getting some bad detail because someone submitted to the NCA wrong. I'm confident. I haven't heard anything. I know you've heard some rumblings, um, you know, that that doesn't affect a team's win loss. It does, it, it's not supposed to be going into the data and all the data is only as good as the sports information directors and those institutions put it in. So um, I haven't heard anything. So I guess I would say I'm confident right now, but no, I just just curious because it it has been a thing for a good number of schools scattered amongst uh, 
the country. So it's it's kind of factoring in and certainly ruining some processes, I am sure. Um, moving forward, we've got the week three regional rankings, which will come out next week on Tuesday and Wednesday, um, hopefully with accurate records and information. Uh, okay, I've taken enough pop shots at it. Uh, and then we will get the final rankings after the brackets are released on the 27th. I want to talk a little bit. We'll, we'll have a chance to talk to you ahead of that information being revealed and when we do our mock selection show because i know we'll talk to you then get a sense of where things stand at that point in time and all but i also know you're busy and we're busy so we may not get a ton of time i want to talk a little bit about kind of some of the bracketing things we see coming some of the decisions at large decisions coming first can can you remind people if you will select a team based on knowing it helps geography or not uh sarah i'll start with you no i mean that's not going to be the sole reason. Like, it's not a reason to select a team. No, I mean you have to understand we're truly only selecting twenty at-large teams. I mean, um, so we have to be really selective in our process. Um, it, you know, we've got forty-four AQs, um, and I, I've said it before. We focus so much on these top teams and we talk about all these teams and so on saturday and on sunday we've got teams that we haven't talked about all year that are coming in that are winning aqs and so you know we're putting them you know i'm putting them in these pods and doing mock brackets and all of this like all weekend long and i'm like oh wait uh you know so once we get down to these um aqs and selections i mean we have to be so selective and making sure that we're getting those the right 20 teams in because it's only 20 teams. I, I don't think people understand um, how valuable, I mean, we do all this work all year and we are only selecting 20 teams. I mean, that's it. There's only 20 teams yeah. that we're uh, choosing the fate of uh, on, <laughs> on selection. Sunday. Yeah. Choosing the fate's the right um, term. By the, by the way, we I have mean, a pool, pool B team this year, right? Not on the men's side. Uh, but the the women's side does. Women's side, we do. Yeah. Okay, I'd have to go the back and check side. the numbers. I thought the the new conference had enough. Huh? No, I guess you're right because it has to be what more than nine. Yeah. We okay. Only have so nine. wow, that's yeah. significant. I was under the impression they were going to, and I, admittedly, I didn't look at that part of the handbook. Um, Megan, Obviously, you'll have the, yeah. the you'll have the pool B, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, folks, I know there's a lip sync issue with my video. Ignore it. Go ahead. And that question you just asked blew my mind. Do people really think that? What? Yeah. Like <laughs> that we select a team because of oh, their geographic yes. location? Yes. Wow. Because they think you're going to make a pick on helping the bracketing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, I, no. so I've said this before. Can I say every this year, Megan? Okay, can I say this on Hoopsville? I need to say this because I've, I've seen it on Twitter and I've seen it. Like, I think people think there's like some they or some like wizard or somebody that like comes in this room and and tells us what we have to do. Like, I mean, Megan and I have a very, we're in a very unique situation where we have to make a, a very, you know, national bracket as, you know, with uh, the resources that we 
you know, no one's giving us or mandating or whatever, but we have to be responsible um, with resources, right? But like, there's no like wizard that comes in and is like, you have to do this or you have to do that. Um, I mean, we're two professionals that have a team of people and a committee that are making the most national bracket that we can um, to have a great tournament. And so there's no like funny business that's going on or somebody's telling us like, you can only have two flights or one flight. I mean, it's just like crazy. I've seen all this chatter on Twitter and it's just like crazy to me that people every think, year. Yeah. That, that we're just, so we get you place. on. Yeah. Wow. I never would have thought that yeah. Megan's smart. She stays off social media. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so bracketing. So we saw the top 16s. It's great. But man, if you know how to read those top 16s, you see some big situations that are going to take from some of those hosts. Megan, you have the women's priority, so you guys get to choose who the picks are. Just make sure you communicate it to the men. We don't need a repeat where the men find out they, they lost a host when the bracket got revealed that they could have used. And that actually happened. They're, they're too good for that. That's not happening. I know you two are, but call Jeff Burns if you need to. Um, but you have nobody on the West Coast in that top 16. You have one school in Texas, and there's a couple other spots you can go, okay, they might have a little bit of issues here. Now, granted, one team comes out of the Northwest, one comes out of Skyac. This is a pointless conversation. But we should point out, you might be in the top 16, but even on the women's side, you may have to find other hosts other than who are in position because you might need to figure it out geography wise. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's, that's part of our, you know, handcuff with division three. So um, that's why, although this is a great opportunity and exercise with the top 16, it's, it's not end all be all. Um, Again, there are probably teams in the top 16 that will not bid to host for whatever reason, possibly. Um, maybe due to other events or campus restrictions or, or whatever. So um, we're going to have our hands tied. Um, there will be some moves that we have to make because of geography and have some hosts in some other areas. And so, you know, we, we still try to do a, a, the best we can in rewarding, you know, the top half, you know, the, the top teams. And, you know, so some of those maybe that get close to 16 are the ones that aren't able to host um so we try to take a look at that if that's possible but again geography comes into play resources come into play um so we don't get to do whatever we want unfortunately uh sarah on your side there's no team listed in texas there's no team listed on the west coast Europe might be in a little bit of more of a spot and then add in the fact that the women do have priority. So Christopher Newport and Washington University, if those two teams were to hold, if those if those seatings held, and remember, 10 days, a lot can change. But you've already now lost two there, plus you're going to have some geography things. There are a lot in those 16 that may not end up hosting outside of just the obvious. Yep. Yes, Dave. <laughs> and, um, you know, I... I have been keeping a pulse on this for weeks. Um, obviously, I think it's pretty obvious. Um, you've had us on a couple times um, that Megan and I talk um, pretty regularly. Um, I am excited that her and I will both be in ND together. Um, like I said, I think we'll be maybe a room away. Um, so I think we're going to be working on this together. Um, but 
yeah, I mean, we've been pretty proactive. Um, I've been in touch with um, schools this week, like get your bids in. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, we'll be fine. Um, we'll find host. Um, you know, it's just every other year. This is this is what we're dealt with. This is what we deal with in Division Three. Um, we try not to make a big deal about it. Um, I don't want it to affect um, our tournament, but we'll, um, you know, the championship will go on. We'll find hosts and, you know, we're going to have a great championship either way. We're going to find the hosts. And like I said, we've had a pulse on this for a couple of weeks now. I want to let you guys go here quickly, but I got a couple quick uh, hosting bracketing questions and then we'll have our, our crews on to, to break all this down. Sarah, I'll start with you. Um, anything in the first weekend that is a minimum? Do, do we need to worry about a, a gym that might be in, or a school they might be able to host, but they're not big enough or anything along those lines that is part of the criteria. I know second weekend we see a numbers written in the handbook. Is there anything in the first weekend that is going to keep a school from hosting? And by the way, side note, get your bids in. We'll talk about that in a minute too. But are, do, are you guys, do you have any limitations that would preclude you from having someone host? Uh, really just, uh, you know, quality, quality facilities, uh, making sure that um, the the bid makes sense, um, you know that your your bid's not going to be losing money. I mean that's not something that we want to see, right? Um, in a bid um, from the from the championship experience, um, and making sure that your um, you know the the quality experience for the student athletes is going to be there, um, and that you have the facilities that are be able to host that championship experience when it comes down to the gym, the resources, the streaming um and you know locker rooms and all that you know facilities i mean you are hosting a four-team tournament um and you'll have to have the practices and 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 all the facilities and all the bells and whistles and it is a championship it's not just hosting games and so um just making sure that you're able to do that that's really important megan to that point does any history play a role here if if you have two teams in the same pod, one has done a stellar job with hosting and one maybe hasn't or is never hosted before, whatever, are, are you going to lean towards the one who's hosted before? Or are you going to try and give a newbie a chance to do it? Have you had any scenarios where you say, listen, we're not hosting there because that hasn't gone so well? Um, I'm not sure that we've been in the the conversation of a, a program that's hosted really well and a newbie and um, not been in that situation. We have had some uh, situations that we've addressed as a committee um, for hosts that maybe uh, didn't have a great championship experience for our student athletes. And I think that's got to be first and foremost uh, on what we're trying to do. This is a great opportunity. Um, this is what the pinnacle of some of their careers, right, is this championship experience. So that does come into play. We have done some research on some host sites with that. And so, um, it's something we're definitely keeping an eye on. And um, there, there's not, like Sarah said, there's not restrictions per se, but we got to make sure it makes sense and it's going to be a good experience. Certainly understand that. I'll quickly remind everybody they got to get their bids in tomorrow. And most importantly, you're not chasing them, right? We're not going to get to a point where top seed in, in for a chance to host in the first weekend or the second weekend, you're not calling up going, hey, you forgot your paperwork, right, Sarah? I mean, sorry, let me start with Megan on that well, one. Well, yeah, I cut you. Go ahead. No, I mean, we've um, we've solicited, we've had, you know, our um, all of our committee members at least solicit um, those in the region that are at least, you know, in the top half of the region 
I'm just reminding them that the bids were open, that we've, you know, like them to put in bids. Um, if they've if they've started the bid process this week, we reminded them that it was due on Friday. So um, we have given them those gentle reminders that it's due tomorrow. At- Meg, yeah, Megan, anything to follow up on that? Yeah, just no. We we can't chase them down after the fact. So it's really important that they get it done, get it started, get it done. By tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, I totally forgot to ask you two two teams that didn't make the 16. I can't believe I forgot this. I apologize. So I'm backing up a little bit here, but we'll wrap it up. Keene State, number one in the second region. And Oswego, number one in the third region. Both not in the top 16. And I think it surprised a few people because they've got, on paper, at least some decent resumes. I have not personally. I've not had time to dive in and compare them to the 16, admittedly. Um but I'm, that that does surprise me. On the women's side, we got every single one in. I'm surprised Oswego and, and Keene sat at the table for as long as they did without being selected. Yeah, and that's and that's really hard. I think that's what is um, that's why I wanted to mention, like when I was talking about the elevator system a little bit ago, is those teams then get compared um, to like the next up in the regions. And so that's where it's very important to understand that not all regions are the same. We have some regions that are, um, a little bit more stronger than others. Um, and so the, you know, like I said, we, we did only have seven, uh, number ones in our, in our rankings. And, um, you know, that's, um, uh, just goes to show you that the, you know, not all regions are the same. And uh, that we evaluated the criteria um, the best we could. And uh, I knew, um, I think Megan even said it, I'm sure there's some teams that um, thought they might have been in um, that weren't or are going to be a little upset maybe that that weren't in the top 16. And like I said, it doesn't, it, it is excited for the, we are excited for the teams that were listed today, um, but also a lot can change. Um, it's nothing final. Um, it doesn't mean that you won't be a host or that you can't be a host or that there still is not time to change your resume between now um, and yeah. next. No, season. a ton can change between now and then. Interestingly enough, one team uh, in your uh, Region 1 was not a NESCAC team. Um, the women were more than willing to break up the NESCAC a little bit, um, but admittedly they had some help in doing so. Um, I, th- I could ask – go ahead. No, I was going to say I think it's just a – a really good testament to what we were talking about that we're really looking at that overall resume, um, you know, and, and some of those teams as well. So um, I could ask you a bunch more, but I want to let you all go because our show's already gone long enough. Uh, I appreciate it. We'll talk to you more ahead of um, our mock selection show on Sunday. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, and at that point, we'll have a little bit of a better understanding of where things are to ask you maybe some more tough and grilling questions uh, to keep you two on your toes. Um, in the meantime, we always give the guests the final words, so we'll we'll leave it at that. And uh, I'll let you two choose who gets to go first, but any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuned in tonight? Megan gets to go first. Since Ooh, I- look, at look at that. So nice. I just want to thank you, Dave, again. You crushed it, like Sarah said. This was such a great night. Um, great exercise for our committees. Uh, really exciting time of year. And then, so great job. Thanks for all you do for D3 Hoops. Um, Got to get me some merch before Sunday, before it closes. Come on. Um, yeah, yep. I know. I got to get on that. And just want to say thanks to Sarah. Um, had a 
great relationship with her already and it's been fun working with her and um this really is as tough as it is especially this time of year both serving as a chair and on the committee it is the most rewarding professional development thing i've ever done um and so it's just it, it's a great tie to the game that has brought so much to my life and so i just it's a fun time of year so thanks sarah thanks dave oh uh, and my committee signed. rocks so. Hopefully yeah, they're still tuned in. They probably shut it off a long time ago. Yeah, they probably did. And so you can say whatever you want about them. Um, and by the way, uh, it's great, except for me bugging you all the darn time. We, we can just admit it, get it out of the way now. Sarah, we'll leave it to you. Final word. Yeah, well, I thank you, Megan. Yeah, we've, we have become fast friends. Um, because, yeah, sometimes this uh, it is a very challenging job. And I think we get each other. We get each other very well. And um, it's, uh, it's been fun. It's been fun becoming friends and, uh, we have a lot of laughs and, uh, a lot of good times together. So I'm looking forward to our weekend in Indy together, um, next week. So, cause who knows next time, next time we'll, we'll be together or get to work together. So True. I like just that this has been a rewarding professional development for me as well. Um, you know, Dave, I, I think that, um, I would like to say too, I, I hope that people um, understand that you took this on um, as a volunteer uh, position as well, just like Megan and I, and you crushed it again tonight. I am, I'm really happy for you. I'm really happy for D3 Hoops. Um, again, I can't say there's so many people that care about Division Three basketball and you proved why we moved the show here. I hope that people um, will donate um to d3 hoops i think that would be a great testament to um show their appreciation um to what you did tonight um for our game and uh, i hope that they will show that um in a donation so i know i will do that um and i will urge my committee to do the same um and i thank you look forward to seeing you in fort wayne um and all the ones that follow d3 basketball um, please be nice about our rankings. I know you're gonna talk about <laughs> you're gonna talk about me as soon as I leave. So you're welcome to um, tune in. Uh, <laughs> we definitely will. We definitely will. You're yeah. welcome to message me. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna talk about me as soon as I get off here. So have fun, and um, yeah, we'll talk again next week. Thank you so much. Thank you, ladies. I appreciate it. I'm going to clip that segment, by the way, and and use it as our fundraising reel. Just for the record, I um, love it. Yeah. Said it better than me. Yeah. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Uh, look forward to chatting with you down the road and, and coordinating. And uh, thanks again for letting us be the top 16s um, show. It was a lot of fun doing it. And I've learned a few things to be very better prepared for next year, too. <laughs> if we get it next year. If if we get it. If, if some of those in Indy who are watching are okay with it. Yeah, we, we can all do it together. I mean, I'll be off the committee, so maybe we yeah. can host it together. I love it. Too. Hey, yeah. preaching to the choir right now. We can make that work. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, ladies. All Have right. a good night. See you later. Thank Bye-bye. you. Sarah and Megan Wilson joining us on the Huddle Hoopsville Hotline. Going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get our women's reaction crew in here later than planned, but we'll get them in, and then they'll have the men's crew as well get their reactions. I don't think we'll dwell too much on it, but we'll get their reactions on the regional rankings, the top 16s, and what we've heard from the committee. You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios, also presented by Sport Tours International, our friends who put together the D3Hoops.com Classic with us in Las Vegas. If you want to be 
a participant of that D3Hoops.com Classic at South Point Arena, contact us. It is a great way to bolster your resume to make the NCAA tournament. You can contact myself, Pat Coleman, or others. We'll get you in touch with Sport Tours International and get you on board for a future program. Um, it, it is a great event, and we look forward to uh, some great teams coming out there next year. And it's not booked up, as I understand it, but we also have a couple events. So we want the best of the best to come to Vegas, and we want uh, those who certainly have NCAA aspirations to do it as well. So thank you to Sport Tours International. We'll take a break. Back with the women's reactionary crew. Gordon Mann, uh, Scott Peterson, and Pat Coleman. These are your teams, your players, your community of fans. This is where they play, where they practice, where you cheer. At every meet, every event, every game. Your community is passionate, dedicated, supportive. You know the tension of a close game and the thrill of the win. So while you're cheering, keep an eye out for anything out of the ordinary. If you see something suspicious, say something to local authorities. used to never really talk, ever. Uh, I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. I learned a lot of valuable lessons playing college football. I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being, not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly, it's all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go on a personal trainer and share my knowledge that I obtained in college about physical and mental well-being. These are your teams, your players, your community of fans. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Uh, as we've exclusively released the top 16 seeds, we appreciate you tuning in and joining us, and I appreciate the chairs joining us on the show, too, to go in-depth there. I realize we don't have time to get into every question that we may have had or that you may have had with them. We will have another chance to talk to them, a couple more chances, in fact. We will talk to them ahead of the Mock Selection Show, which is our special show on Sunday, February 26th, starting at 6 p.m. We will hear from both of them at that time. Um, we will also hear from them after the brackets have been released on our bracket special. That'll be Monday the 27th. 
A reminder, uh, Thursday show, uh, or Monday show, I should say, will be at 7 o'clock Eastern time. And Thursday show is going to be at 7. I got some dates screwed up in the uh, conference tournament that I'm supposed to be helping out with. So we will be on at 7 o'clock on Thursday next week uh, as well. A reminder that the uh, fundraising campaign is underway. Uh, don't forget, you've got the Give Butter fundraiser, which has raised almost $1,500 of the current 2400 that we've raised. We also have Venmo. There is a QR code sitting there right on the screen you can use, or you can just log on. Uh, we've tweeted out many a link, too, as well, but we'll try and share more information. We also have the uh, opportunity to buy merchandise. We'll tweet out more of that information coming up here shortly, too, because that will run through Sunday night, and then it's shut down. We want to make sure everybody gets those opportunities to get the shirts that they want, some of the new ones we've got put on order as well. We want to get those to people. Um before the season ends, before the NCAA tournaments end as well. All right, let's talk about the women's selections. And joining us on the Huddle Hoops Hoopsle Hotline, hotline is, uh, oh, we got, got a little, little bit of an echo there. I'm going to have to figure out. out. Um, Pat, Pat Coleman, Coleman, Ryan Scott. Scott. Oh, Ryan, Ryan Scott. That's just, just by, by default, default there. there. Pat, Pat Coleman, Gordon Mann, Scott, Scott Peterson, Peterson, and myself. Gentlemen, gentlemen welcome in. Thanks, thanks for taking the time. How are you? I'm, I'm not, not hearing, hearing Pat. Pat. That's, That's strange. Do you guys hear him? Oh, I know what happened. happened. Hold on. Bear with us. Because it's, it's the simple, simple things, folks, that you forget, forget to add. Network. You're going to hear me work my way through this. Add. There we go. I hear you there, Pat. I hope so. I was just going to say, you've gotten lots of kudos tonight, and really they are well-deserved. I haven't seen you uh, up this hard working this late since uh, you and I were doing that women's selection show back in 2005, 2004, yeah. five ever well, ago. Well, it was at least 2005, in, maybe 2006. Yeah, back in those, uh, back at the Goucher uh, radio station. Right. Uh, I don't know. Either of us got any sleep that night. We were did it. No. We did an audio selection show, and that was a lot of fun. Um, this has been yeah. it's been a big night for you. So kudos to you. Let me add to the long list of people saying those things. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It was a fun opportunity, and I enjoyed doing it. Though I should not have probably gone back and look at last year's because it added some work. But I'm glad I also did it. I'm glad we got a I, we got more video on the show than last year's show did. Sons a couple of schools. We don't need to do that, but I'm glad that they all sent them in. And, and yeah, lessons for next year. Even the vertical video, that was great. So, lots uh, of, uh, so. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, kudos to you. That's all. That's what I wanted to lead off with. Thank you. I appreciate that. Gordon, your reactions to what you saw in the, in the top 16s? This is, the women are certainly your, uh, are your focus a lot of the time. Curious what you thought of it. Yeah, a lot of teams, uh, you know, Pretty heavy concentration in the in the northeast. Four of the four of the sixteen were in the northeast between the two in region one and the two in region two. Um, you know, I don't. I know the bracket comes together in different ways, but if I'm tr Trinity of Texas, I'm not looking at this and thinking I've got a real great chance to host on the second weekend because none of the sixteen other than me are west of what of whatever. No you know, chance. I, I just light water. Um, but it. it you don't see a bunch. You don't see teams from the Northwest Conference or whatever or of Iowa or um, even the ASC and say, "Oh, they're going to try and protect that team." Nope, you're playing Arden Simmons in the second round of the tournament, probably. So I understand it's it's partly a geographic. It's I'm, I'm not saying that the numbers should shake out differently. It's just if I'm watching it from, you know, from Trinity, I'm 
that trinity, I'm probably a little bummed. Yeah, I agree with you. Scott, your thoughts? I don't think Newport can host second weekend either, Gordon, geographically. No, they can't. Um, my, <laughs> my main thought is that you asked a pretty direct question about strength of schedule, Dave, to Megan. And she said, I think we as the committee have closed the gap a bit. And I agree 1 million percent. There are resumes and profiles here that the only way you put them here is if you, you are bumping up how you value strength of schedule. Yeah. I, it's interesting to get different answers from different committees. And I think they're still trying to come together to be a little bit more similar. But you can definitely tell that there's committees where um, different people get on it with a different preconceived notion, for lack of a better description, and they have different perspectives on things. I think another one you see that in is um, what well, we saw it with the women are used, used uh, last week's rankings that we did not see. Well, the men right. said they flat out don't use that. And hmm. we see it, I think, in how they evaluate results versus regionally ranked opponents as well. Rightly or wrongly. Well, Megan was pretty clear that they that they evaluate the quality of those ranked wins. I don't know if we've heard such a clear statement. You know, no, that that's they, true. You know, we've heard it from the men's side. And Megan said basically the same thing. No, they have definitely stepped in that direction. Absolutely agree with you. They, they, have, they have made a leap even in that direction. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, I think, you know, we go back to it isn't all that long ago, right, that you could uh, you could look at the two brackets or you know, the two sets of at-large teams. And if you took the names off the resumes and just gave me the resumes of all the women's at-large teams and the resumes of all the men's at-large teams, you'd know right away which set was which set, because one of them would have somebody who's 23 and four with a 496 uh, strength of schedule or something like that. This, uh, these groups have gotten so much closer together. Um, but I think if you also, you know, then said one of our two committees is going to make sure to include a team from each of the 10 regions and the other is not, I probably would have guessed just based on tradition that it was uh, that it was the women's basketball committee, and that is what we got here. I don't know necessarily who I'd leave out. Maybe I have a name in mind. Uh, maybe there's a region that I, I would have left out in favor of somebody else. But as I kind of go through and look at who's in this and who's not, one of the kind of breakpoints is just games against regionally ranked opponents. Um, you know, there's. They, uh, you know, they chart them as wins and losses, right? But I just add up wins and losses for just contests against ranked opponents. And, you know, New Paltz is the first one uh, left out in the three. They have five games against ranked opponents. Messiah is the first team uh, left out behind Scranton in the five. They have just five games against ranked opponents. It seemed like there was, it's not an exclusive break point, right? Because Hope is in with five. Ithaca is in with just four. But it felt like that's that's maybe a bit of a break point here, where uh, between teams that got in and teams that did not. I think yeah, I, I also know thought it was interesting that where Megan said that uh, uh, this it, it sounded like this year. I hope I'm not extrapolating or putting words in her mouth, but it's, I think she said that because the committee was more experienced, they were more comfortable going with strengths of schedule and and less reliant on winning percentage, which is. Sort of what I I would expect. I mean, maybe it's an unfair generalization, but I would expect coaches to value winning percentage, particularly if you're from a region 
and you're from a program that has not had a national profile, I would expect you to value that pretty heavily, both for your own, yeah. you know, from your own personal bias perspective and just from the perspective of saying, look, I really don't know how my small New England conference or my upstate New York conference or my, you know, whatever conference compares to these other programs until you get no, to the final four and you see them play and you go, oh, wow, this is a different level of basketball. No, I think that's a valid point. I, I And I think they also have a more comfortable uh, feeling with understanding what that SOS represents, not necessarily in terms of what you're saying, what you see on the on the court, but what it represents in terms of a data point, what it, what it actually represents that that team went out and did in terms of their scheduling um, versus what they didn't do. Uh, and I, I can totally understand how a coach in their first year is going to be like, do I really trust a, a strength number based on this math? And then later go, oh, I understand how that plays together. Got it. And then lean more on it. And I think on the women's side, we've seen a lot of term, turnover in the last few years. This is about the first time we've said it had it settle a little bit and as a result it's been tough to gauge the women whereas the men have been much more um settled and they can get into a routine of how they do it because they're only training a couple of people to understand it versus the majority under are are already on that page we got a little bit more turnover on the men's side this year and i wonder if that's just added a little bit more interest but i know we're primarily talking about the women here um I'm curious speculation that we can't answer, but I, I certainly see no. where these sorts of things. And we've seen it with committees in the past, right? When a committee has a bunch of new people, I don't know. Sometimes it's manifests itself in at large selections. Often it manifests itself in bracketing, which is not nearly as uh, creative if your committee is a little less experienced, but um, yeah, there are definitely, there are definitely differences. Uh, Scott, you tweeted earlier that you're going to hold your opinions during the uh, the announcements for the show. I'm curious if you got any that you want to share now. Yeah, so I had two main questions coming into this. Uh, my first one is, are the criteria being valued the way that I personally would like to see them valued? Um, and But secondly, and much more importantly, are the criteria being applied consistently? Again, as I deem them to be, right? Um, <laughs> when it comes to the first question... I love how the committee is valuing criteria, right? If you're seeing Whitewater and Wash U and Tufts in here, it means that they are willing to look below 800 winning percentage if the other criteria warrant it. I love it. Um, on the second question, I think if you, there are three or four teams that I have questions about how they got to the exact spot they are. If you change those teams, I think I see incredible consistency in how they're valuing criteria relatively through the top 16. But if I can get to my top one, I do not get Transylvania at five. Um, Sarah talked about prioritizing a well-rounded resume on the men's side. She was very clear on the men's side. It would appear that that is not important on the women's side. If we are looking at these top 16 teams, Transylvania is tied for first in winning percentage. They are they have the 15th best strength of schedule, and they have the 16th best results versus region-ranked opponents. They're 1-0. They played one game. It was against a number six in a region that is probably going away. And... If you are going to have a perfect record do the heavy lifting required to get Transylvania fifth, I don't know how you put Scranton and Christopher Newport behind Smith. I don't know how both of those happen together. Right? If you're going to put Whitewater sixth, you have to push up how you are weighting strength of schedule and results versus regional ranked opponents because Whitewater is incredible on those two. But it has to make up for that 792 winning percentage, which is a big gap to a lot of these other teams. And I just don't – like if you put Transylvania 11th, Almost everything else makes sense. 
right? Like we had you know, some questions about hope, but if you, if you look at the resumes around hope, you can see why hope's behind them and you can see why yeah. all those resumes are 11 through 16. All that makes sense. That's interesting because when, when you started to talk about that, my thought was at some point, I think we go back to the conversation on the women's side where the, the, the win-loss eventually is, I don't want to say rewarded, but acknowledged. And, and they move them up. And we've seen that historically. And we mentioned I mentioned it earlier, Lancaster Bible men in 2016 were going to lose, if they lost in the conference tournament, we're going to be left out of the NCAA tournament because they have a piss poor SOS, et cetera, because the men aren't going to respect the win-loss as much as the women are. And I was going to say, I think that's what's happening here until you made the point about Smith. And that's where I think's an interesting twist that I hadn't considered because I get why Smith's up there. But you're right. If they're valuing the win-loss that much, why would Smith not be third? Yeah, or at least second, right? Or second, or, right, or right. Some, I'm just... Right, because yeah. Smith has overwhelming strength of schedule and ROs, right? If you dig right. into their loss, it's not a great one, right? Framingham was a little bit down in the region, right? A lot of the other top teams that have, have a big loss is against you know a top three in the region, generally. But yeah. he was. But are they ranked? Oh, they are. I'm sorry. Disregard. They are. They are. Yep. Yep. Never mind. I was going to say something because I was going to say one thing that's interesting is if you have a loss that's outside of a regionally ranked opponent, it actually doesn't really get considered. It doesn't have that extra weight, right? I, that's always right. interesting, right? That's one of the people. That's one of the things that people often criticize about this system, right? Is that yeah, the games against regionally ranked opponents have double weight or maybe even more weight, right? Because they're already mm -hmm. really contributing to your strength of schedule. If you've won those games, they're contributing to your win percentage. And now here they will also contribute to to this wins against uh, or you know results against ranked opponents. Um, <clears throat> I can totally see where you're coming from there. It, right? <laughs> where does a win or a loss to a mediocre team? gets uh get referenced it doesn't get extra consideration anywhere here unless, unless it's, it's a common opponent. opponent yeah exactly sorry yeah That's all I've, right. been, I've been looking at common opponents and head-to-head -head for almost every of the two teams next to each other and there's almost nothing there there's right. like there, very few common opponents or head-to-heads yeah no like even, even hope and baldwin wallace there's no common opponents which kind of floored me that there's not even a single game i thought there was one otterbein yeah, Hope has played Otterbein, right? I just saw that. That was that, oh, you, sorry. that was referenced on Twitter. They're, they're both right. three and one against common opponents. They've not played each other. So okay. there are four right. common games there. Yeah. Yeah. My bad. So it's Scott, let good, me ask. Sir. I think you mentioned, Scott, one of the uh you know, one of your maybe pairs or one of your ones. Are there others that you want to bring up that maybe this uh group could discuss? So the first key that I had was Whitewater at six, because that means, hey, we're going to look at a winning percentage under 800. But yeah. then we waited until 10th to see Tufts. And I think Tufts is an iota below Whitewater in terms of resume. And I just I, I would be very interested. Why would they slot those teams between them? I think there's a little bit of difference. Um, and then on Transylvania, if you're going to have that perfect record, do all of that heavy lifting. Trinity of Texas is not far behind where they have a bad strength of schedule compared against these top 16. They do have five wins versus regional ranked opponents, which I think could be where the committee kind of forgives some of that SOS because they can see, oh, you can't control SCAC uh, play. Terrible records there dragging down your SOS, but you did beat some ranked opponents. 
Um, but they don't have that perfect unblemished record. And I, I think they kind of floated up a little higher than I was expecting. And then the last one was Ohio Northern. I just thought that they have a resume that should be down with, um, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been surprised to see Ohio Northern Baldwin Wallace and hope all come off the board one after another in the 12 to 15 range ish. Uh, but Ohio Northern just two to four spots higher than I would have expected. Everything else to me makes total sense. Consistency is the word I would use, right? I wonder sure if, if it was the loss to Babson because they had Babson in front of Tufts and they might have felt like Babson had to come off the board before Tufts. Although I, I don't know how you then disentangle the Babson Trinity Tufts triangle because one beat one who beat the other. Um, yeah, I was surprised Tufts was not a little higher. And I'm, I'm also just used to seeing the NESCAC teams because of the way this process has played out generally fare pretty well. Uh, Once I saw Whitewater, like, I think you're right that Babson has to come off first, but I would have expected to see Tufts next ahead of right. both Trin Trinity of Texas and Ohio Northern. And then all three of those teams start to look way more consistent. So I, I, right. I wasn't really sure in that range. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that is interesting. I mean, from a bracketing perspective, though, as concentrated as things get in the Northeast, you're not really going to – you could very well – first weekend, you could definitely have – Smith, Babson, Tufts, and you know, they can all maybe, host. maybe even Trinity, but then it, you, no, it just cut, they totally it's harder can. to get four teams there. And I guess they, my, it's, it's, I'm always excited when the bracket has like geographic weirdness to it. When you get mixes <laughs> between the two, I would just hope that the next weekend isn't. Yeah. Babson, Smith, Trinity, or and whoever, Scranton. and Tufts, right? And the same yeah. four teams who have played each other right. who are an hour and a half apart from each other will do it all over again. It's oh, no, just, they'll, they'll totally throw Scranton in there. From a matchup perspective. They'll totally throw Scranton in there, Gordon. You know that. All right, well, <laughs> Scranton is the answer to all hosted questions. Scranton and three Nescacks. Yep. There you go. Lucky Scranton. Yeah. Where have I heard that one before? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um. No, I listen. I, I I do like how the women are are evolving a little bit because it used to be win loss heavy. I remember one year when we were making mock selections, we came out, of, got done doing the men, pivoted to the women, and we missed two, and it was because my brain didn't get out of that men's gear, and, and we missed two because those two had we we picked two teams who had worse win loss but better SOS. And in reality, they picked the two better so the bit better two win loss percentages. And when I saw it, I went, "Of course, we should have thought that through." It seems like they I pivoted it at least a bit. They moved a little bit towards more of the overall resume. They absolutely have, and I think especially at the national level, right, which is what this top sixteen is. If you right. look region to region, you still see these pockets where they're like, "Hey." A couple teams might be 725 winning percentage, 535 SOS, and they will always be slotted below the 870 winning percentage, 480 SOS, right? Which I don't think if you throw those all those teams into a national bucket, it comes out that way, right? Especially with the way that the committee is weighting SOS for these top, top 16. But within regions, um, I think just if you see 180 points of winning percentage gap, it almost beats anything else. I can't argue any with that. Other, yeah. Any other thoughts, Scott? Any other opinions? Uh, I don't want to keep you guys too long, but uh, I appreciate the insight of you, you guys will have, and we'll get a little bit more from uh, at least Scott, especially when we do our mock selections on the 26th. But anything else to dive into before we 
we uh, pivot. I no. say thank thanks to Scott for doing the heavy lifting. Yeah, yeah, right. Scott's awesome. Scott's awesome at this. I mean, he he had the picks all right last year, and he's got this thing literally broken down to a science. I think I only got fifteen of these, so I was expecting. Yeah, I think. Harden Simmons. I think he'd admit he missed one. I know. I, I know we missed one. Santa Cruz did not make the list. I'm afraid. That's that the one you missed. No, no. Uh, any other rounding thoughts before? Obviously, we're ten days out here. I mean, believe it or not, we're <laughs> we're gonna be done soon. Done. Done with another three week sprint or six weeks, a uh, five week sprint to the championship game here uh, in women's basketball. Yeah, right. Yeah, three week sprint, weird, and then a the distended end there with one game, two games on a Saturday, and then nothing, and then one championship game in Dallas. Yeah, you've got a Super Bowl halftime in between, yeah. and then a championship. Game. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I am also pregnant. So. <laughs> wow. Hold on. More exclusive news to talk about here on Hoopso. That's and a, John Zeke got fired. I think we're yeah. Well, well referenced, sir. Well referenced. Um, well, guys, I appreciate you coming on, sharing your thoughts about things. Certainly interesting to get your takes on it, since it's been a bit of a blur to me for the last couple of days. Um, I do know every once in a while I started writing a script today and went, "Wait, whoa, hold on a second. They have who?" And it finally dawned on me. It was kind of one of those things. Uh, we'll pivot and go around the panel. Um, Pat will join us again, but final thoughts on the women's side of things. Scott, we'll start with you. Ooh. Um, I I just love seeing SOS valued more, right? I, I think wins against a lot of teams, especially for these top 16 teams, just aren't something we should be using to differentiate them. And... I know that there are different ways that good or bad SOS can be constructed, but I I love more or less blindly saying a 585 SOS is going to have a lot of weight over a 545 SOS. I think that's a really great direction. Um, we want to be giving really good programs incentives to schedule games against other really good programs. And you have to not make it hurt so much to lose that game. And I think we will get better scheduling because of it. Gordon, your final thoughts? Uh, we've come a long way on doing this from since it was over dial-up internet like 20 years ago. I mean, <laughs> between the video that you produced and uh, the numbers and analysis that Scott and uh, uh, the, the Snyder boys or whoever they prefer to be reference the Snyders produced, uh, we've we've come a long way on this. I am, uh, I am still back in the Stone Age uh, on a lot of this stuff, so... Uh, Next year, I will cede my seat to someone who has more of a clue. <laughs> nah, I love getting your take, sir. Pat, any final thoughts on the women's side before we, you join us for men? No, I don't think so. I should have ceded my position at final words to Scott. You should have gone in a different order. So He should have done it three times. Yeah, he yeah pretty much there you go. Three final words. <laughs> my bad. I will remember that for future reference. <laughs> Absolutely. For sure. Well, guys, thanks very much. Pat will join us here on the men's side. Appreciate your time. We'll look forward to talking to you guys uh, down the road uh, as well. Thanks for very much. Pat Gordon and Scott joining us on the Huddle Hoopsville Hotline. We're going to take another break. When we come back, we will talk to our men's reactionary panel. They are Pat Gordon, or Pat Coleman, Ryan Scott, Matt Snyder, maybe others. We'll see. You're listening to Hoopsville presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. Also presented thanks to our partners now at Sport Tours International.
These are your teams, your players, your community of fans. This is where they play, where they practice, where you cheer at every meet, every event, every game. Your community is passionate, dedicated, supportive. You know the tension of a close game and the thrill of the win. So while you're cheering, keep an eye out for anything out of the ordinary. If you see something suspicious, say something to local authorities. It starts right when you hit the court. You imagine your finest moment. The game-winning shot that gets you to the dance. A monster dunk or no-look pass. And cutting down the net. Sports lets us dream of our own success. And prepare us for our finest moments on and off the court. got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us. All of us. To, to stop, stop sexual assault. assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. Welcome back to the Hoopsville exclusive show. Well, we're not really in the exclusive mode anymore, but it was nice to talk to both committee chairs and get the top 16s released. Thank you for tuning in for that. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville, hashtag Hoopsville, email us, hoopsville at d3sports.com. You can also join us on Facebook. We're live simulcasting the show, facebook.com slash Hoopsville. We're also live simulcasting on YouTube, youtube.com slash D3Hoopsville. Um, pivoting now to talk men's basketball and what is going on there. Oh, got to change the setting. Bear with me. We will talk to um, our men's crew to discuss what they think uh, we've seen in uh, this alliteration, as it were, of the top 16s. And joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsa Hotline. I said Blue Frame again. It's the Huddle Hoopsa Hotline. Pat Coleman joins us once again in the upper corner. Ryan Scott from D3 Hoops as well. And Matt Snyder, who is... I'm amazed that he's willing to go on camera after his nights did not so great in trying to uh, complete a good season there. So you, you you okay? Everything all right? Doing okay. Yeah, we'll uh, go ahead and win the pool okay. A and everything will be good. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's a good goal to have. Both uh, Hope and Calvin winning at their opponent's floor this season. Mm -hmm. By the way, nice of Calvin and Hope to get together despite that rivalry and uh, salute to Michigan State by having everybody wear green. That was outstanding. I know it's a Michigan thing to some degree. Obviously, Michigan State is somewhat nearby, but tip of the hat, to say the least. All right. Um, thoughts on the men's side of things. At one point, Ryan Scott was blowing up my alerts on my phone, or my wrist. I thought something was broken. Um, 
And I know Matt Snyder has been chiming along. Do you guys want to do rock, paper, scissors to see who goes first on this one? Yeah, Ryan can go. Oh, well, uh, there you go. I mean, I think Sarah actually answered the question that we had for us in saying that um, while the committee, when they did the regional rankings, did not take into account where teams were ranked this week, but they did for the top 16. I think everyone was a little surprised not to see St. Thomas um, in this list, being that they have better numbers than Johns Hopkins in every single category across the board. But once she said that they did actually compare who you beat, then, you know, Johns Hopkins de- defeat of, of Swarthmore um, obviously put them in. Um, the number one thing I think I'm, I'm looking at uh, for all of this is just, at least for the top 16, how important those regional ranked wins uh, actually were. It seems like, like um, you know, that determined a whole lot. Seeing, seeing Rowan and Stockton as high up as they were um, ha- has to be attributed to that regionally ranked wins, which also came into play with, with who Hopkins beat. Fair. And I, let's just also say someone in Texas is probably going to have to host. So just because we saw a top 16 doesn't, so even, <laughs> you know, right. we're going to see someone down there. So St. Thomas, it's not like they're out of this conversation and a lot can change in two weeks too. So just wanted to point that yeah. out. Yeah, I think for me, I'll, I'll jump in next. St. Thomas is still the most surprising thing. Uh, you compare their resume to Wheaton, let's say, who we saw at 10. They have a, according to my numbers, an identical strength of schedule. St. Thomas has a, a higher winning percentage, and they have one less regionally ranked win, but the regionally ranked wins are of very similar quality. Wheaton's regionally ranked wins are against um, like North Park and Carthage, who are kind of in the three and five slots. St. Thomas, Texas has wins over, like, uh, um, I got to find that here. Um, I think Texas, Dallas, they've beaten, and yeah, Claremont, Mud, Scripps. So more like mid-region tier teams. So that's similar to Wheaton. I'm surprised they have a better winning percentage than Wheaton. I could have seen them in the conversation starting around number eight here, and maybe they were in the conversation the whole time and just never quite made it in. But, um, you know, across the board, I feel like they have as strong of a resume as a team like Wheaton, and I'm surprised to see them all the way out. Um, even if they don't have a top-tier win like maybe a Johns Hopkins does. Interesting thought. I think we can dive into that a little more. Pat, your thoughts? Yeah, great question. You know, I'm looking at the same sort of thing here that I was... Pardon me. Not fast enough to get to the mute button tonight. I'm sorry. Too many many screens open. Um, You know, looking at the same sort of thing I did, the first thing I did on the women's side was to look at the number of total games against regionally ranked opponents, not the record, not the number of wins, number of games. Um, and you know, the, the outlier who's in the 16 is John Carroll. They had just three. And then, you know, you talk about, uh, St. Thomas, uh, they have just three. Um, it is, uh, what am I looking at us? We go on my screen. They have four They're three and one. I mean, that seems to be one of the, uh, one of the delimiting factors here as well. And I feel like I'm going to repeat myself from what we just talked about about five minutes ago on a different Zoom call on the same episode of Hoopsville. But, uh, you know, this part where, uh, you know, a, a game against a regionally ranked opponent counts for you basically three different ways. It counts for you in win-loss percentage, especially if you win that game. It's helpful. It counts for you in strength of schedule. It counts for you in this uh, bucket of regionally ranked opponents as well. Um, and that is a, uh, you know, you, you have to have those things in order to really be, you know, 
thought of highly by these committees and we're seeing you know pretty you know some some pretty blatant uh demonstrations of it i think tonight and both of these uh, both of these lists interesting that interesting. sarah I mean, the one out. thing we didn't Go see ahead, which will be interesting is all of these teams have very solid sos and you know winning percentages right at 800 we still don't know how this committee is going to deal with super high strength of schedule you know like if we have a 600 600 situation where their winning percentage is in the 600s but their strength of schedule is also in the 600 we don't really have an answer to that because we we had enough teams to get into the 16 without finding one mm -hmm. of those scenarios i kind of expected oswego and rochester to pop into this because of yeah. how much they've been prioritizing strength of schedule um the fact we didn't see them doesn't answer the question <laughs> of what yeah. they think about rochester in, in a national perspective well, yeah i think it would have been it would have been telling if we did see rochester but uh right. you know maybe they were 18th or, or 19th and we don't know that yet um but they have i think they were the team that sarah referenced with nine regionally ranked wins that's probably rochester their strength of schedule is in the high 600s so oh, what are they going to do with like a 680 winning percentage team of rochester you're right I, you still don't know what they're going to do rochester is feeling more and more like an oshkosh from those whatever year that was where they aren't necessary they don't necessarily have a resume that wants any of us to pick them but they've got a resume that kind of forces the hand and it's that outside the norm resume they're so this is where i wish sometimes the win-loss percentage did have a point where it's it over it overwrites everything else and 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 Sarah said there are Mendoza lines. There are there are points where they will not be considered. I don't know how close Rochester is to that. She's never given that actual number up. I think we've usually deduced. I mean, at one time we deduced it was six sixty or six seventy on win loss. Oshkosh made that one kind of stray south to what about six fifty or whatever it was. Um, and the and the line for SOS has always been five hundred, maybe maybe a tad higher. I think but I think now. it's always been 500. Well, uh, certainly the line here for the top 16, you, you guys mentioned that you know Oswego has a good strength of schedule, but it's lower than any of the 16 that are in here. Oh, yeah, only absolutely. By, only by .002, yeah. right? 543 for Oswego compared to 545 for Case. Um, you know, 43 for St. Joe's as well. Yeah, I get that. They've, uh, they've, they've won a couple more games. Uh, it's your good point there, yes. That 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 overcomes it, I guess. We could talk about uh, that kind of math too. And then Keen, just as a reminder, five twenty-five. Um, that you guys, I think, uh, correctly pointed out, St. Thomas, right? That's a five sixty-five uh, SOS. But you know, again, three results against regionally ranked opponents for them. Three for Keen, four for Oswego, and those are some things that are you know slightly different again for everybody other than St. Joe's, which has won all of the games, and that also helps. Not, um, not to belabor Rochester, but being in the UAA, they're going to have a chance over the next two weekends. They'll either get over a 700 winning percentage and be an easy in, or they'll get down to a 600 and be an easy out, right? So that's, Yeah, they're they're either playing in or playing out of this. Absolutely. This is either going to be a, a mute point in three games time, or it's or they're going to put their resume together in three games, and, and we're not going to be as concerned about no, it. No, right? no, man. What if they go two and one? If if they're they two and one, I think they're six eighty. If they're one and two, they're six forty. And I think we have a conversation yeah. about Pool C on Rochester with both of those. Well, guys. and their SOS will come down a little bit. 
it'll still be pretty well, high. Sure, UAA no, no, I'm not saying high. it's not going to be high. I'm just saying I wonder if that fluctuation is enough to change that conversation enough. I don't disagree. If The way they're playing right now, nothing against Luke Flakertzi. Love you, man. But this team is not the team we saw six weeks ago. And and so I, I've lost a little confidence that they can play themselves back into this conversation and out of the out of trouble. But maybe and that's I'm just wrong. a reminder: it's home to Brandeis, NYU, and Emory to uh, end the end the regular NYU season. NYU just Rochester. beat WashU. Emory's absolutely going to be gunning for them. Brandeis is probably the wild card there. And they're five oh. and six in conference. Like if this was a D one conversation, right? This would be. We then we'd be talking about you go one and two, then you're six and eight in your league, right? right. Um, I, you know, these are in the end. One of the things that we talk about is that these are still human beings making these decisions. They are still right. human beings voting, even though something like your conference record isn't necessarily on your, uh, you know, on your no on on the sheet that's in front of you. It's got to be on people's minds. Agreed. Um, um another thing I was gonna bring up, Dave. Um this tonight, really good for Case Western Reserve. Um, for two reasons. One, they're on this list, which is really, really good. <laughs> the other thing, the first eight teams on this list are all super, super far east, which means they're almost definitely going to need three teams in Ohio to host. And so even if Case drops down to 17 or 18, we may see them hosting still, just simply because we are going to need, we're going to need Carol Mount Union and somebody else to 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 host this first weekend. Um, you can't have eight eight seeds that far east and and not no. kind of move the whole bracket to the east, which means Ohio. You got women's priority. You've got exactly what you just pointed out. You're going to need those. And Pat pointed it out on Twitter at some point yesterday or today. I've lost track that we the glue is in Ohio as always. Yeah, um, Ryan and I know this very well from bracketing, yeah, uh, bracketing conversations over the past several years. It's absolutely true. And, you know, Eastern Indiana, but we don't often to have right. too many schools to choose from there. But also, listen, other part of that geography conversation, you're already going to lose hosting to different places anyway. And so the women's top 16, I think, is a really good sense of understanding who's going to possibly be hosting that opening weekend and even the second weekend. I think the men's side, it's great, but this year, very much so, eh, it's nice. Well, not a lot of them are going to host. It's an exercise in top 16, right? It's not an exercise in who's going to host. No. Yeah. In a perfect world, those would be the same, but um, yep. I don't need to tell anybody well, here or most of the people on Twitter who follow anything about D3 Hoops lately to know these things. Right. And and it may be a situation that we have one of the top eight teams who can't host. I mean, if we have that many teams so far east, it might just become a situation where even if you're one of the top eight resumes, oh, absolutely. you just no, won't absolutely, be able to. Ryan. No, I, I think we better buckle up for that. I, it, I know they want to protect those as much as they can, but realistically, they may not have a choice. Well, and so I'm going to go back to a thing that Megan said, but, you know, we know that Megan and Sarah, the two committee chairs, talk a lot. They were both on the call at the same time when Megan said this, right, about the student-athlete experience at some of the places that have hosted championships before, and that those are things that they look at either with an eye towards making sure they get corrected, or maybe that is a school that doesn't get to host the next time around. Um, I would hope that the men's committee thinks about some of those things too, because I think those are perfectly valid conversations to have. I th 
Yeah, I don't know as much. Yeah, I think those conversations take place. Whether they're as impactful on the men's side, I don't know. I think on the women's side, I think they're having some serious conversations, to be honest. I, I It'll be interesting when the brackets come out. Um, by the way, I guess we could have reminded everybody on the men's side while we're talking. It'd be a good idea to keep the audio live when I do that, but uh, give everybody a reminder of who those 16 teams are. Um, and honestly, the, the surprise to me, and, and, and I realize, again, it's a UAA schedule that's playing a role here, was the fact that Case Western and Wash U got in. I think, I, and, and that Middlebury is sitting all the way up in the, in the three spot. I, that one blew my I thought it was a typo when I first got it. I thought Middlebury was in the wrong spot, but there's that example they should, they should where parity is playing a role right. here. We're having more losses. Would you would you say, Ryan? And so they should probably be too. I still don't really understand, other than rewarding an undefeated season, why St. Joe's is above them. They're above them because of the region. They're above them in the region, and so they have to be above them here. But oh, sure. If you're just looking at the straight resumes and how they choose them, I'd argue this: Middlebury doesn't lose the last game, and it is not that way. I think at some point, too many losses racked up to keep St. Joe's behind Middlebury. That's just my gut feeling on it. Now, the other factor of that, too, is they weren't looking at results versus region-ranked opponents in terms of where they were actually slotted, except for this. But in this case, they couldn't switch them because of the rankings. Right. They were still stuck with that legacy decision that they made without all the data. Right. So I do wonder if if they'd had that data, if that switch. And, man, we have seen that in the past, where two between week two and week three, nothing changes in terms of general. Everybody keeps winning is what I'm trying to say. And there is a change because they can dive into that number a little bit deeper. Yeah. Well, St. Joseph has beaten a number one and a number two in um, UW Oshkosh and WPI. So I think those will, will bode well for them. That's a good staying point. high in that region. Uh, but I, I think... I don't know if this is what Ryan was saying. It, it feels like at a few spots on this list, they've sort of like changed their priority order of what they're considering. Um, like I look at, we, we, you brought up Case Western Reserve, Ryan. There's a there's a case for them to be up above Rowan based on their total resume. Uh, they have a higher winning percentage. Their strength of schedule is only like eight points lower, and they have an additional regionally ranked win. So it feels like at the top. You know, St. Joseph doesn't have a lot of regionally ranked wins. Their strength of schedule is only so-so, but they're kind of rewarding that resume at the top. But then we go with Middlebury afterwards. Um, but then we get Rowan and we jump back in with high RROs. To me, it feels like maybe we're not always a- a- applying these criteria weightings well, consistently up and down the list. And I, I also wonder where we... So I looked at all the data sheets to put the numbers on here. They've got Rowan at 7-1 and one versus regionally ranked opponents. And they have Case at 6-2. and two. Right, case being six and two. Okay, I, I so I thought I'm not I had sure where that case. comes from. I'm just using the NCA data because I know that's what the committee used. Um, Is that not accurate? So that, I think was different than what a lot of us were using, and so seeing Rowan at seven wins and Stockton at six, it makes a lot more sense how high they are. Um, and by the way, we should point out I there's don't think a great some example. Of the guys who had lists were were including so. I think there, Rowan's a great example of a team who's took a loss this week. Stockton took a loss this week. Others took a loss where those rankings will definitely be altered. Now, in the region, maybe not, but if that top 16 were done again, it would. So Pat's doing some math here. I was wondering if some of those NCAA 
regional ranked numbers were wrong because of all the mess they had with the records that went up and the teams that may not have been on the list in the right order. So somebody will have to double check the NCAA. But that one, the release like, this week wouldn't have impacted. No, but we saw like probably North Central's record on there that then got moved. And that happened in a couple of the regions. And if they didn't change, like if they had the wrong teams on the original ranking, they would have had the wrong number of RROs. All right, so Rowan's. Oh no, that wouldn't be because they were on the week before, right? So right, I'm yeah. not. I'm not. Now we're having now we're having a selection night conversation, right? This is yeah, we are on the mock call where we would usually just be counting it up. Okay, so I got Swarthmore uh, as a regionally ranked opponent for Rowan. Of course, we got two games against Stockton. We got two games against Montclair. We got a game against Wesleyan, which gets us to six. Um, Kane get in. Kane twice in Lancaster Bible. So yeah, that's seven. Okay, Kane and Lancaster yeah. Bible. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, sometimes that happens, so it's a good question to raise. Yeah, yeah. it is so, seven. <laughs> and I don't know if we want to pivot away. There's the other really, really interesting thing that we learned this week um, that I don't know that we got the entire answer for, and that was, I'm glad you asked Dave, because I asked Dave to ask. The Guilford-Emery <laughs> situation will come into play, so I'm just going to go through the numbers here. And, and just for the record, um, Emory, I didn't want to just... Has I, I didn't dive in deeper because I didn't want to just go into a rabbit hole on it. But well, go no, ahead. But just so we have it here. So Emory is a, a 682 winning percentage, 615 strength of schedule, three and six versus regionally ranked opponents. Guilford is an 826 winning percentage. So that's uh, 0.15 higher, which is pretty significant. They have a 522 strength of schedule, which is almost a full point lower and they're two and three versus regionally ranked opponents, but Guilford beat Emory head to head at Emory. Um, at Emory, and so what we have here is the point nine five or point oh nine five in the strength of schedule is overruling a point one four four in winning percentage and a head to head win, and a head-to-head which has win. never happened before, um, not since I've been following this. Um, I think when it's like one this, head-to-head this is a win, prioritizing it's a prioritizing I, I, of strength of schedule over head-to-head, like we have not seen. I, I when it comes to one head-to-head, I don't think I agree. I think we've seen that before. If it's two head-to-heads, I agree with you, but I don't agree with you on one. Well, but not with resumes this divergent. We've seen similar resume, you know, like one resume is significantly better than another one where they've overlooked the head-to-head, but when they're I mean, this is a, a pretty significant winning percentage difference. Well, they did um, Wesleyan over Tufts in Region 1, and I think that was largely on the strength of a head-to-head. And that was, you know, the gaps were, uh, in that case, were smaller than it is with Emory and Guilford as far as winning percentage and strength of schedule. Of course, there's also a number of uh, common opponents in the Region 1 rankings as well. <laughs> True. Yeah, yeah. There's other. There's other pieces <laughs> but, to that. But I hear you. And, I, and obviously, I'm we'll trying know to find where you. When the next rankings come next week, we'll we'll be able to clarify this that? a lot better. Say that well, again, yeah, Dave. I, I'm sorry. I know. I knew Ryan put that info up somewhere. I wanted to visually look at it, but I can't seem to find it now. It's in the Slack. It's in the Slack channel. Yeah. Yeah, I went in there. Maybe I just general missed it. You can scroll up a little ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You have to scroll up past us making fun of you. 
before you get. I to always it. scroll past that. <laughs> yeah, I just put it, it in the chat if that's helpful. And I'm only chat. bringing that up because uh, oh. we have seen a couple of blocks um, sure. in this situation. So, like, I I think. Um, it's arguable that Stockton's resume is better than Rowan's, but they're never going to jump in front of them because Rowan beat them twice. And I think it's arguable that that Christopher Newport's resume is better than Hamden Sydney's, um, but that's also not going to be a jump because of the head-to-head. -head. Uh, well, I, I don't think it'll be a jump because of the head-to-head. -head. And so the same thing with the Guilford Emery. You know, Emery's low winning percentage might end up serving as a block to a team that I'm voting number three in the country right now. Like, Guilford is really good. And and if if you know beating a team head to head keeps you still behind them and you get blocked, that that's a really rough situation. Wouldn't that be apropos for Guilford, who blocked Roanoke last year? Though they did have two wins over Roanoke. That was because of the head to head. <laughs> yeah, I mean, interesting enough. If the, if Roanoke had gone one way, and one there, if Roanoke had gone one and one, they're ahead of Guilford. Damned if you win, damned if you also win. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um. No, I know. I. I also wonder if some of that had to do with um, not having the actual ranked results versus, and that will parse itself out in this next one, which is, by the way, and not to dive down this because we don't need to dive into it because we all agree. Why right, another reason I'd wish we had the the pre-ranking um, um, yeah. alphabet alpha so that week one has those actual rankings so that we're not waiting until week three to kind of get rid of the mess that it all creates, we can be here in week two already knowing. And, and I've stated this to multiple sports. I think it helps teams going into conference tournaments or wrapping up their seasons understand really where they are instead of being really unknown until it's too late. Yeah. Week three is way too late to, to understand yeah. where you sit in terms of That's a postseason. And, and it might sound stupid, but teams might rest guys or, or, or press different or do something different knowing they need a certain outcome when they think they're maybe safe otherwise. But I'll, I'll stop now. That's well, the only public ranking we get before the tournament. So if if that's the only real one that uses all of right. the data, then that seems like it's a yeah. little bit late. Right, I agree. Well, and if I, they want to continue doing this top 16, they should maybe have one additional ranking so they can do it off the full off well, all the data. Everything I've gathered, <laughs> the, the committees, these two committees agree. I think they wouldn't mind having that mock selection, the, the one that they do in real, have those be as they're pre-ranked in alphabetical. It's other sports who are shocking, other sports that are um, a little leery of the idea. But it's but it's the men's basketball committee that put us here in the first place. Yes, though I, you know, talking more and more with them, I do understand the premise. I just wish they had thought the ramification through. That's all. I mean, yep. I all of those things. Want, I agree. You don't want to be tied two rankings a week earlier but if they were alphabetical you're not really tied to them no right exactly you're not tied to them right you're, you're just you just filling in a data point that you and and megan doesn't even have to worry her crew doesn't even have to worry about where they rank. it just fills it in gets it done and dusted and starts things anyway but like i said we know that um i don't know if there's much more to dive into at this point but i appreciate all your times so a quick reminder and and guys we've all seen it at some point in time Get your bid information in by tomorrow. Yes. And if you're listening to this on Friday, get your bid information in today. Even if you think, even if you if you're regionally ranked or you think you might be regionally ranked, get it in. 
I think especially so if you're a men's team this year, absolutely, you might get in the tournament because of all the things that we've talked about, right? The 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 schools like WashU, like Christopher Newport, whose women are going to host in the first weekend, that opens up opportunities for someone who's a two or a three out of four teams in a pod to host games. Uh, you want to have that opportunity, and frankly, you know. If you're in the right spot on the map, you want to have that opportunity too, right? So if you are in Texas, you know, do your stuff. If you're in Ohio, do your stuff. If you're in Michigan, do your stuff. If you're in Minnesota, do your if, stuff. I think you get the point, right? Get your papers If you're a filed. UMAC team, you probably don't need to worry about it. But everybody else, fill out the – Just put I it mean, in. Uh, I mean, ha- I'm just going to point at the – I'm going to be upper Midwest uh, guy here just for a little bit. And just remind us, I mean, the UMAC has won some NCAA tournament games yes, in the last several have. years. Let's not uh, let's not lump the UMAC in with uh, some other conferences who maybe I'm not going to name. Well, to, we to mean- Ryan's defense, they at least win them on the road. <laughs> they have no choice. <laughs> right. You just mean it's going to be hard to put too many hosts up northwest no, this year. I yeah, I, like if you're an OAC team who thinks they might win the tournament, you might want to throw in there. If you're Calvin, you know, you might, and you think you're going to get a pool A and you're in the middle of the country, yep. you might want to throw that in there. Um, any pool A's in region four or five or three, you know, like we're going to need some one. essentially three seeds to host some of these these pods. Yep. Yeah. Um, so it really Absolutely. can be anybody. And second weekend glue that can hold the east part and the west part of the country together. Like you said, Ohio, Michigan might need to link two of these Wisconsin, a Wisconsin school to someone a little bit further east, and maybe maybe that happens in Ohio. To a case Western last started year. out as a yeah exactly. Or if, if you're in Altoona, Pennsylvania, and you have a number two seed in your conference tournament, you might and are on the national committee. You know, you might want to make sure your paperwork is in. Yeah, that's all. Right. <laughs> um, interestingly enough, I'm not going to reveal the team, but there was one in particular who's been getting a lot of attention, who I knew didn't have their paperwork in. Hmm. And so part of my push here was, uh, if you're listening, get your paperwork in. Confirmed. They just submitted it. <laughs> Otherwise, there was going to be a hell of a conversation. I can tell you that much. Yeah, just Now I'm thinking about the journalistic ethics of this, right? Are we supposed to make the news or are we just supposed to report it? I'm just telling people, get your paperwork in. <laughs> I don't want to no, sit here explaining done. to people why they're not hosting. Because someone decided not to put paperwork in. It's an easy it, answer, though. I love making that answer. <laughs> it has happened more time. It happened my first ever year in Division Three. That's how I got introduced to Division Three basketball. A school didn't get their paperwork done, and all of a sudden I'm sitting there announcing a basketball game at Goucher. Hey, shouldn't have happened that way. And by the way, Goucher was in the road jerseys because <laughs> they yeah. weren't the ho- they weren't the better seed. Right. Don't have anybody asking later why you aren't at home. Because and and what we've had schools find out later. Oh my goodness! Can we get too late? Nope. Too late. All right, gentlemen. Really appreciate the time. I actually have to still pack for a flight tomorrow morning to Arizona. I am just now thinking about my trip. I haven't thought about it in four days. Um, so we'll uh, go around the horn and get your final thoughts. Uh, I've learned my lesson from the women's side, so we'll start with Pat and Thank then you. go to Ryan Scott, and we'll finish with uh, Snyder over there, um, see if he wants to give Hope any credits. But 
Pat, go ahead. Your final thoughts tonight. I appreciate that. I don't think uh, I need to have final, final thoughts on these sorts of things. I think my final thought is just generally, I'm glad that we're doing this, right? And, and you know, first off, glad that Hoopsville is doing this, but I think just glad that in Division Three in general, it was felt, you know, last year that it was important to do something like this because this is not something, you know, the the D3 committees don't kind of generally stick their necks out with something like this. Obviously, it's a very cool thing that has been done elsewhere, but for D3 to take up the ball and run with it and then continue to do it um, is great. And, of course, to bring it to Hoopsville, which is where it should have been in the first place, um, is even better. So that's uh, kind of my final thought for the night. We can have all the discussions about who should be in it, who shouldn't be in it, what the order should be, but I'm just glad it exists. Yeah. Great. Ryan, your thoughts? Yeah, and I think overall very, very happy with what happened tonight. I mean, obviously we talked about the Hopkins thing that surprised us all, um, but but ultimately like what they did makes a lot of sense. And what we're really trying to do is predict what the committee is going to do. And I think they've given us a lot of information that'll help us do that as we go forward. So that is is a really wonderful thing. And I'm, I'm excited for the next couple of weeks and uh, I was a little worried about what we were going to get, but but I, I think we'll be able to predict, and we're going to go 20 for 20 this year. We're going to do it. Oh, gee. Why'd you have to go and say that? Is, that, that is all on you. I'm just sitting back here in the background typing. And oh, now, you now you're in. Nope, nope. You're in now. Who's going to write the story? Are you going to write the story? We got automatic systems now that can write the stories for us, sir. All right. That's what we're going to do. I actually, GPT will write our story for us. Open AI had, story. I had half a thought about sending some of this to a chat GPT and seeing what it comes. That would up be with. that'd be like interesting a, to see, like a Mount Union football future story. <laughs> yeah, you didn't have to write an extra story this week at D three football, so I did actually ask Chat GPT about Division three, and it didn't seem to know what it was. So we may not be <laughs> quite ready for that yet. Well, we can get our our tech guys like Matt Snyder get on that. Uh, Matt, any, <laughs> any final thoughts, sir? Uh, similar to what Pat said, I'm really appreciative that that Sarah came on the show and Megan and that they did it on Hoopsville. I think this is the right place for it. You've invested in the Division Three community for, what is it, 20 seasons now. Um, I think you do a great job. I think this is it's, it's awesome that we can be here having these conversations. Um, I think if you go back to committees in the past, they've shied away from having open conversations about what they're doing. Now they're releasing their top 16 in advance of the tournament. I think that kind of thing is great. Yeah, we're going to quibble about where they have teams and if we think they're weighing strength of schedule too heavily now um, or the women's had to come up higher in strength of schedule uh, like they have in the past. But the the open openness, the transparency that they've showed, I think is tremendous for the sport. It's tremendous for the fans and followers of Division Three like us. I think we gained so much useful information out of it. So uh, thankful for those two women to come on your show. Uh, and it was it was amazing. And you produced it amazingly, Dave. It was very good. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, gents, thank you for coming on, too, and uh, helping me understand what I was reading. <laughs> to some degree. What we're here for. Exactly. Well, look forward to having you guys down the road on, on other segments of the shows as we do in the next 10 days. Obviously, Pat, go to d3hoops.com for everything you need to know about Division Three basketball. Ryan Scott and Matt Snyder do a lot of help with that, too. Guys, thanks so much. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Dave. As Pat, Ryan, and Matt joining us on the Huddle Hoopsville Hotline. Uh, we're going to wrap up right from there because I, I can't take another break and then try and wrap because I'm brain dead at this point, to be completely honest. It has been a very long few days. 
Uh, I want to thank everybody who came on the show to chat. Pat Coleman, Ryan Scott, Matt Snyder, uh, Scott Peterson, and Gordon Mann. I want to thank our committee chairs, especially um, Sarah Quadraki and Megan Wilson, willing to be on the show. But also, more importantly, themselves and their committees for uh, entrusting us to announce the top 16s. It meant a lot to us when we got that call in December, and it meant a lot as we moved up it didn't it didn't change in any way shape or form except when i realized maybe i needed to do a little bit more work than i realized but i absolutely had a blast doing it uh and i'm uh i'm glad that you all could enjoy it i hope uh, we'll take feedback anybody who liked what we did something you want to see different maybe next time we're open to uh, ideas and we'll certainly move forward to doing it next year as well um so here's the deal. Monday, 7 o'clock Eastern, I'm probably going to get both top 25 committees on if we can, our double-take crews, to try and talk about the top 25s because I think it's important. Because on Thursday's show next week, we're at least at that point pivoting towards who's in and who's out of the top 20 or uh, of the NCAA tournament. So we'll, it's still a work in progress, but that's one of my ideas. Talk to a couple teams as well. I'm literally taking a red eye back Sunday night into Monday, so that could be a fascinating show to tune into. You might just want to enjoy it at that point. Thursday, 7 o'clock Eastern next t- week as well. Again, pivoting towards who's in and who's out of the tournament. Maybe talking to teams who already found themselves on the bubble. Sunday, February 26th, 6 o'clock Eastern is usually our starting time. That is our selection Sunday show. And then Monday, February 27th, 7 o'clock Eastern time, will be our break bracket breakdown show. That's more about breaking things down. We'll talk to the committee chairs at that point, too. Won't have as many coaches because they're harder to book that day. And we move on from there. So 10 days left in the regular season. We hope you'll choose Hoopsville to kind of keep up to date on stuff. By the way, Matt Snyder and and his brother do a great job at D3 uh, Datacast. Uh, Bob Quillman's been lending a hand at his QCast. And I think Riley and Scott are going to do a women's kind of mock stuff coming up this weekend uh, i'm sure there's stuff will be interesting as well but we're all a community we hope you're better informing you of uh, everything that involves division three especially as we head towards the ncaa tournaments once again thanks for tuning into the hoopsville exclusive of the top 16 announcements and reactions we appreciate you taking the time to do so please fundraise if you can um, we've added some money here tonight and i really appreciate that it helps us tremendously grow this show past 20th seasons um most importantly once again thank you for tuning in to this exclusive and we appreciate all the support that you were able to provide us we'll be back on the air next thursday seven o'clock eastern time thanks to d3hoops.com the women's basketball coaches association national Co- association of basketball coaches and our friends at sport tours if you'd like to come on and advertise and sponsor in the next few uh shows as well contact me and we'll get you a part of the show thanks for tuning in everybody we will see you back here from the wbca and abc studios on monday good night everybody